The one-eyed king has arrived. Hey, what's up, man? This is Songs in My Head. Welcome back, guys, for another episode of Songs in My Head, a podcast for music nerds, by music nerds. Uh, as always, it's your host, Josh, joined by my co-host, Kristen. Hello. And a very special episode this time around. Um, we have another guest, which is a big deal. We have a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, Terry Jones. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. We've yeah. known each other since we were kids. So. It's been it's been a long time. It's been time. a very long time, yeah. Shout out Shining Arrow. Shining Arrow, man. Shining Arrow. Yeah, Camp Shining Arrow. Right? Um, yeah, so if for the listeners that might not know about your background, yeah. why don't you catch everybody up to speed? Uh, stand-up comedian, actor, uh, turned musician, uh, been on... Bigfoot the movie, uh, the sequel's coming out in the fall. Yeah, I saw you guys were shooting on that. Yeah, yeah, with Kurt. It was fun, man. Yeah, he has a good time. You know, Pittsburgh dad, so it's always fun. Of course. Um, We have uh, been on uh, Stand Up and Deliver season three. Oh, cool. uh, Four comedy albums on all streaming networks right now. Uh, Pandora Radio, Terry Jones Radio. Uh, I don't. I'm not that guy. I don't really like <laughs> going like, you know, right. each thing, but that that should be enough for y'all to get an idea. No, it's, it's, <laughs> you know what? It's good. And, you know, and we'll, we'll make sure to, to plug away at the end with, with everything you got going yeah, on. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've known you for forever and yeah, it's been a long time. I know that you're, you've been in the comedy hustle for years. Yeah. 14 you, years. Yeah. yeah it's it's crazy. been a long time. And I mean, like your your comedy albums, you know, started dropping on Spotify. What two years ago? Uh, no, it uh, twenty sixteen. Oh, the, the very first one came out twenty sixteen. Limbo Negro. Yeah, and uh, it's a picture of me as a kid on there. On the tricycle. And then yeah, yeah, on the uh, tricycle, the, the the girl's tricycle with some cowboy <laughs> boots on. And and the funny thing is that was taken in the hood. Like it was in Garfield. So it's not <laughs> this kid with cowboy boots walking around Garfield. They used to clown me, but uh I loved it. I uh then the second one, Comedy Ghoul, came out yeah. twenty eighteen. And uh that was kind of like an accident. You know, it wasn't even I wanted to do a new album, but that one wasn't even supposed to exist. And I got booked for this show at Comtra Theater and they're like, yo, the show sold out. We got two shows. Uh, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, yo, I think I'm going to record an album. And they're like, what, really? <laughs> and I had went to Canada and came back and was just like inspired by that experience of headlining in uh, Ontario. And, uh, you know, I was like, let me do something with this. And I came back with all this material and it ended up being Comedy Ghoul. Then um, the next two albums... I recorded in 2019. They dropped 2020 during the pandemic, like the start of it. Yeah, I was gonna say they dropped real close together, didn't they? Yeah, they were. Uh, they came out same day. It was like back to back. Oh, so yeah. I dropped two albums in the same same day, same year. 
and that was uh, Afro Bebop and Limbo Negro 2. Um, and those were recorded in Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Felt like I could get away with more of the political stuff I wanted to talk about and more of the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, because with comedy, it's weird. Like, it, people want to control what you say. Right. It's, it's different than, like, music. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, like music, you, you can get away with a little bit more. Exactly. Especially now mm-hmm. with, with the ability to, like, upload yeah. your own shit. Like, yeah, yeah. There's more know, control. You, yeah, you can just, you can do whatever the hell you want. Exactly. And with comedy, for some reason, everybody thinks they're funny. So everybody <laughs> thinks that they they could do stand-up, right? Right. And the reality is that that's not the case. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So they have an idea in their head of what would work for you. Right. Comedically. And they think, oh, this is what we're going to do. Like, you should say it this way or. So I was like, yo, I need to escape America. There was too much going on here. I was like, I need to escape America <laughs> and let me go talk my shit in a whole other country right. that I know will appreciate the shit I'm talking. Right. And, and they're they like, did. they're like, yeah, I know, right? Like, yeah. Healthcare. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did actually talk shit on healthcare. It was funny. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's been pretty cool. So I'm working on those and just, it's a journey. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So what what got you wanting to do music? Um I've always wanted to do music yeah. actually, yeah. I mean I know like you've done the comedy, the comedy stuff. Music, like your yeah. spoof music has always I appreciate always it. been good. I, <laughs> I got to experience some of it. Yeah, I, I played I showed ago. some for uh, her yeah. a couple weeks ago and uh what did I show you? Uh Cos- Cosby Bling. Cosby Bling. Oh yeah, yeah um, the, the Drake one. She likes that one. Yeah, <laughs> that one's a good one. I mean, I, I'm always a, a fan of the uh, the Tyler the Creator. Oh, uh, Squirters. Squ- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's what that's what it's called. It, and it literally has nothing. We just was like, yo, let's let's get a. a... <laughs> Buddy of mine was like, yo, you need a title that just doesn't make any sense, right? Because Yonkers didn't make sense. He wasn't from New York. No. It wasn't. It was just like called Yonkers, right? So we're like, okay, let's call it Squirt. He actually saw that too. Somebody I know went to LA and they ran into Tyler the Creator at a skate shop. Yeah. They asked him if he saw it. And that's and his response was, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So yeah. <laughs> he did see it. <laughs> All right. Well yeah, it's random. Well, that's how he responds to people. He's shy. Or he used to be at least. So he doesn't I mean, really I've, like I've seen like I've seen like interviews with him and he, he almost seems standoffish. Yeah. But he, like I think it's just because like you said, he's just shy, so he, he doesn't know unless he's like around the rest of the guys from Odd Future and then it's like He was actually. Really? He was just shy. Like he I it, you know, the thing with entertainment is you get a lot of entertainers who do like wild shit on camera, right? Right. And then we see all the fun outlandish stuff that they're doing to keep the brand going and then you run into him out somewhere and then they're the most mellow, or they're just completely different than you expected. That's right? what I heard. Uh, Steve was like, "Oh yeah, I, um, my boy Clyber, Aaron Clyber, shout out Aaron Clyber. He uh, worked with Stevo. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard good things about Stevo actually. Yeah, I heard Stevo's a really good dude. Yeah, but I, but I mean, like, obviously it's Stevo, so like you know yeah. he's out there doing the wildest shit. But I heard that he's like a really, really just down to earth. Yeah. Well, you gotta think he—he's probably more mellow now because when you um, have moments in your life like he's—he was recovering, yeah, from oh, yeah. like drugs and alcohol, right? Yeah, he was and in that a real changed, dark place. Yeah, that changes your life. 
Because then you realize that a lot of the stuff that people may be doing is because of maybe drugs and alcohol. Right. So now that they don't have to rely on that anymore and they're more mellow and they're finding their way in life, it's a little different. So yeah, yeah, yeah I can yeah, see that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I've, 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 I know I listened to his podcast for a little bit, um, yeah. like Steve-O's podcast, and he's like just a super chill yeah. like dude like listening to him talk but he's really candid about like you know the fact that he knew that when he was doing all the jackass stuff really early on yeah. he was just all kind of fucked up oh yeah hey, so you'd be surprised man anyway <laughs> music though so you you've been getting into into actually like doing some more serious yeah um well serious in like a like actual music in a, like in a music not way. not not parody music right yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. um i did the parody stuff because i always wanted to do music right and i knew in reality that nobody would take me serious so um you you graduated oh three uh-huh and i was oh five so um i remember like think about penny hills (laughs) like well yeah when we went to high school the, the rappers out at the time it was like 50 cent uh gu like the whole g unit crew did set so you had to be one of two rappers. You either had to be really street or you had to be Talib Kweli. Right, and right, and like, there was no in between right. at the time. You know, nobody was rapping about Gundam Jet. Right. You know what I mean? You couldn't talk about anime and all that stuff. Those <laughs> cats was like MF Doom and he was so underground talking about like Star Trek and a lot of the, right. you know, Monsters of Crunk. You talking about Godzilla and stuff like that. You couldn't do it then. So I knew no one would take me serious because I wasn't doing anything in the streets and all the street people I hung around, they was t- rapping about the streets, but I was like, right. I'm not selling crap. Right? They were like, I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy playing street fighter. Literally sipping on this high seat orange. Like, yeah, like if you guys yeah. want to come over later, it's cool. Bro. Even in Garfield, man, we would, we would be in the hood. Like, you know, Garfield's changed now, but it, when it was the hood, we would, um, we hear gunshots and then we go, Oh snap. Someone got shot. Hey, y'all trying to go play Battle Assault 2 Gundam? <laughs> like, you know, we was playing, uh, we are just doing so many nerdy things. Right. And that was something that we enjoyed. It kept us off the streets. Now, right. and, and a lot of the rules that people don't realize about the hood and streets and all that shit, when you talk about it, like, you know, people see The Wire, but they don't realize, like, yeah, you watch The Wire and you see the street shit, but there's... Also, somebody that's watching Dragon Ball Z and those those row houses, you know what I mean? Right. And growing up, right there's the, the there's the kid Naruto running down the yeah, street yeah. To, to catch up with the ice cream man. Exactly, and they're like, "Yo, he's weird as hell," but that's uh that's my little cousin, you know what I mean? Right. Um, it, it's interesting because a lot of the street dudes don't want you to be in the streets with them, right? If you are. Like a nerd, or and it has nothing to do with you being a nerd. It's just right. You got a better chance than me. I don't want you out here, and that's what I grew up around. Is a lot of like the OGs and a lot of the people being like, "Yo, you're a smart kid. Even though we pick on you, we always knew that you would be something." Right. You know, I actually didn't realize how deep it was until one of my OGs called me. Um, he's friends with my older cousin, and he's in his fifties. It's like, yeah, man, I want to bring my kids to your show so they can see a product of Kincaid Street and and the survival and the shit we've been through and the bullets we dodged. And I was like, he's like, we survived crack. I was like, yeah, I guess we did survive crack. <laughs> I was like, I have family members smoking that shit, but, you know, 
um, it, it's just different. So yeah, I I knew no one would take me serious at like during that time, unless I was talking metaphysical and my ridicule. And I didn't want to do that shit either. You know, right. I didn't want to burn incense and wear a Kangol hats and <laughs> you know what I mean. Like so, you fast forward and um, everyone was like, "Yo, why now?" And I was like, "I've always wanted to do it." And a lot of the producers, I've always surrounded myself with musicians because comedians and musicians get along. Right. Musicians want to be comedians and comedians want to be musicians. <laughs> and it's the reason that you see like Donald Glover and Jamie Foxx and cats like that that are so good at it because they surrounded themselves with it. Like Jamie Foxx used to throw parties and he said a lot of the reason he would throw parties is just to bump elbows with the the Diddies and the, the Dr. Dre's and all those people. Right. And it worked out for him. Um, but, you know, uh, Taylor Gang and all those cats, like, I don't know Wiz, but I know Sledrin and Chevy and Motorman, like the producers oh, really? and the people like that. And they would come to comedy shows and I would meet them. And I knew Mac Miller from hosting comedy shows and hip hop shows and stuff like that. Rest so I would peace. always go in, yeah, rest in peace to them. Uh, but I would always, you know, host these different hip hop shows and be around everyone. So I was in the studio with guys and I was listening to their music, dissecting it, just being a fan because I'm obsessed with music. Well, I mean, like, and even when you look at it, like in more popular culture, like, um, like look at Chappelle. Yeah. Like Chappelle's show was groundbreaking in the sense that like, that's what he gave you. Yeah. yeah. He gave you comedy and music he did. in an hour program. Mm-hmm. And like... That program was the shit. It like, was. It was absolutely amazing. And like, then he did the block party. Yeah. Where it was like a big comedy and music festival. Exactly. So like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I definitely can see them going hand in hand. Oh, it does. And, and like, yeah, it's, it's good to. Yeah. To so, I'm, but I mean, I understand that like, you know, yeah. you want to, you, you built yourself up to it, you know, now and now you're finally yeah, kind of seizing the day on it. So, yeah, like, it's I mean, cool. you. Plus, the I built a following over years doing comedy. Right. And you take that following, and that following is now into this. Right. They're, they're here for it. Yeah. So years of building up a fan base, and then them being like, oh, no. you." One of the things Prince said is Prince said, never talk down on your audience. That's why people allowed him to do so much with his career. Right. I never talked down on anybody it's always just been like, this is funny, this is whatever. And because of that, your fan base will allow you to grow into whatever it is and they'll support it. Right. Um, so that that was very helpful. Um, you mentioned Dave Chappelle. Uh, quick funny story. Okay. <laughs> so um, we were at Alter. Alter Bar, remember Alter, the church bar? Yeah. Now it's a church again. Right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, ironic. Anyone listening that's not from Pittsburgh, the, the way it goes is, Pittsburgh turns churches into bars, and then when the bar is done, they turn them back into churches. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, we're in the basement, and uh, Mac Miller comes in, and uh, there's a bunch of people around us, like the models and stuff. And this is when Mac's like starting to blow up, and uh, no, the people around us don't know that we know each other. So, just as a joke, he comes over. I go, "Hey, man, what's your name?" And he goes. John Mayer, I go Dave Chappelle, and then we walk away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the funniest shit. And uh, but no, it's it's actually pretty dope, man. Um, I'm excited because like if we're breaking down music, um, and hip hop in like particular, sure, 
Lupe Fiasco was ahead of his time, right? Um, which is one of my favorite rappers. And Lupe Fiasco used to rap about the nerdy stuff, skateboarding, right. uh, anime. And this was in like 2006, 2007. Because I heard Kick Push my freshman year of college. Someone sent it to me before it hit mainstream. And I was like, who is this dude? Right. And his bars were amazing. Like the dude is one of the greatest rappers, like bar for bar. And nobody really took him serious. Like they couldn't get into him. He set it up for the newer generation to be able to rap about the stuff that they're doing. Like the Trippy Reds, the Lil Uzi Verts, the um, whoever you want to name, B-O- even B.O.B., um, guys like that, to be able to say other things and express themselves in different ways. Now, Juice World and, and XXXTentacion and all these guys that were out here, they were portraying in like anime form. Right. And they changed it where, okay, it's cool to be a nerd now and rap. All these kids is dressing like Naruto going to concerts. I went to a Kid Cudi concert and everybody was dressed like Naruto. And I was like, I don't, I don't <laughs> like, was, I was like, what is going on? I was like, I was like, yo, cause we used to get clown for that. Right. And I was like, now, now it's cool to dress like this. Now everything is inspired. Now the kids can have super saiyan blue hair and stuff like that. Right. And I'm here for it. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm allowed to say the shit that I want to say now, finally. <laughs> and, uh, Roscoe. Um, who does a lot of production for me and I record at the Rap Cave, he was in a group called Commonwealth Family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's produced for Mac and Wiz and a lot of people. Um, He was like, you know what's dope is you're at an age where the kids and the people around you will listen to the shit you have to say because you're so well-versed in it now that you can twist it into something where people are like, Yo, that's nerdy, but what he said is like legit with like real shit. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, that's that's more so the biggest reason. Like it makes more sense now. But I mean that's cool. And like it's just another level of expression. Yeah. You know, like now now you're you have a different outlet where you had comedy, now you have music. Yeah. So like and you know, I'm sure you'll still be doing both. Yeah. Um I mean, after this year I was thinking of like quitting stand up. I was like, if there's no demand, and then all of a sudden, because Corona and everything, like things are opening back up now, I'm getting booked for more stuff. But um, I just want to take like a good spot in entertainment in general. Yeah. Instead of like, I focused on stand up for so long, and I remember someone close to me telling me, maybe stand up isn't your end all be all, but it's preparing you for what your end all be all is sure and you know you put the pieces together and it did so i do want to do all of the above but well i mean look at the way that you know like the comedians like from the 90s were yeah i mean like they started their careers you know grinding in the stand-up community for you know 10 15 years before they you know before they got their big break yeah i mean look like I don't know why, for some reason, the first one that pops in my head is Bob Saget. <laughs> I mean, like, he grinded out in, like, at, like the laugh, like, like yeah. all the, like, the comedy clubs, like, in, um, like, yeah, LA. LA for yeah. a long time. And then he got his, his break. And now he's back to just being Bob Saget again. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, he was doing America's uh, funniest, home, funniest home videos, but he was the dirtiest comic. He was in like the <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's in the. Uh, there's an old comedy stand-up DVD from the '80s. It's called Comedy's Dirtiest Dozen. If you ever get a chance, find it. But it has a 21 year old Chris Rock. It has Bill Hicks. It has Tim Allen, and uh, I think Bob Saget's on there. But it has like a bunch of the dirty, like upcoming underground people. Right. And it's absolutely fucking amazing to see. But yeah, he, I mean, he was so dirt. Uh, he's so dirty. Yeah. Oh, I know. I heard that. I was like, full house guy? Yeah, right. yeah. Like, I think everyone was like, well, America's fun. Because, you know, he was so corny on America's Funniest Home Videos. He's like, yeah, <laughs> the family. And then you go to a show and he's like, I like to suck dick. And it's like, what? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold on, Danny Tanner. This ain't, this ain't what I paid easy, for. Easy. I expect this from Joey, but... Yeah, man. Come on. Meanwhile, Joey's the clean guy. Right? <laughs> He's the cleanest of the whole bunch. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll talk a little more about about your tracks later. Because yeah. I, I, have, I have some... Okay. I got questions. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, so, in true in true Songs in My Head fashion, you you have presented us with an album... Yes, and we listen to it a lot. I was, I know, I listen to it a ton. Yeah, I mean, and how could you not? I, it's I mean, a, it's, it's almost impossible. It's iconic. Yeah. I mean, um, so you gave us uh, what's going on, Marvin Gaye by Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Which yeah. is like, I mean, like that's all you have to do is say his name, and yeah. immediately somebody, at least one person in the room, knows. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because he's he's iconic. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's world culture. I mean, and I mean? like, I don't. I don't think that the face of music would be the same without yeah. the, the influence that he had on it. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, and the first thing that I saw whenever I started doing any research was that you know it was the number one album out of the five hundred best albums of all time in twenty twenty, and I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. like. It's it's like and that's from Rolling Stone. Yeah, like a user poll from Rose, Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. number one album. Well, he's got a few places on that chart because oh yeah, I think at least three. Yeah, I mean, and it's like when you look at the the dude's career. I mean, this was like, what was it? This was his eleventh yeah. studio album. So like, up until this point, mm-hmm. he already was established. Yeah, and then he was like, you know what? Let me do this. Yeah. Let me let me do this one. And this is gonna be this is gonna be my 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 pride and joy. Yeah. And it, it, it did. It ended up being one of his biggest of his career. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean um, he I think I read that this was like the first the first time any of like the Motown artists had three number one hits mm-hmm. on the charts consecutively for like an extended period of time yeah so sure. like all three of the singles that he put out from this album were on the charts at the same time yeah um this album holds a special place in my heart um marvin gay holds a special place in my heart and i i i say it all the time uh he's my favorite singer my favorite artist is prince but my fit oh like overall but my favorite singer <laughs> that's one of my favorites oh he's the goat um but my favorite singer like sound for sound is marvin Gaye for sure and I mean, there because he has such like a he has such a passion yes. in his voice and it, it just it like transcends mm-hmm. like the music itself 
Yeah, it does. I think what was special about this album for me is that um, What's Going On was uh, Richard Pryor's favorite song. It was like one of his favorite songs ever. Really? And he, he said it was his theme song for a long time. He said he would hear uh, Marvin Gaye saying, what's going on? And then he'd be like, I don't know, you tell me, motherfucker, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, it's it's so funny uh, that, you know, this was a, because of that. And just in general, um, when Tammy Terrell died, he went to a very, very bad place. Yeah. He's... Uh, traveling the world he had very bad depression because see people thought him and tammy had like a relationship or like they were like sleeping together and stuff they were like brother and sister yeah so when she died it was like losing his sister right yeah, um he was, it was so platonic yeah. and he was such a shy guy like he didn't like fame at the time then as he got older and then you know the depression and stuff now now he's a little more flashier because the the mental health things that we didn't know how to work with back then. Right. But he expressed it. And what's going on talked about the times. It talked about the inner city. It talked about the Vietnam War. It talked about um, the civil rights movements and what was going on with black culture in America. Right. And it's as sad as it is to say that album is more relevant now right. than it was then. Right. I was and just... that's why it's the number one album in 2020. It's wild. Like when you you never would have expected that. Yeah. Like when you when you sit back and you listen to everything that's on this album, you're just like, wait, wait when did this come out? Oh, it yeah. hits everything. Like yeah. I was even surprised environmental stuff. Like he yeah. did everything in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I didn't realize until we both started reading into it, like initially, mm-hmm. that it's a concept album. Yeah. Like that he he designed it as an album to. It was supposed to be like a character. Mm-hmm. Where it was like a guy that came back from Vietnam, yeah. Vietnam and right. it was supposed to follow that that character the story, but it was also kind of based on his brother and mm-hmm. all of his brother's experiences, mm-hmm. like in the war and then coming home and having that like culture shock. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was crazy, and you can, but you can hear it. You can like, definitely for sure. hear. It. I, I well, I mean, that is what. You can feel that inspiration because it sounds like an outside view. It's right. almost that view of um, that third person view, right? right? Which is what he's doing. And it is a concept because at that time, like you look at most people needed movies to push those ideas out. And a lot of the black exploitation movies were all done by artists like Marvin Gaye, your Curtis Mayfield, Joe Willie Hutchins. Like they, Earth, Wind and Fire, like they brought out big dogs for these black albums because that's all they had access to and they could save money. Right. So for black exploitation, James Brown for black Caesar, the big payback isn't just a song that was for a black exploitation movie. So, um, Marvin Gaye did trouble man. Right. And now you're singing through the perspective of trouble man. Curtis Mayfield did Superfly. Now you're singing through the perspective of Superfly. What's going on. I'm going to sing through the perspective of a real ass person going through this. Instead, right. This isn't a movie. This is every day we go outside. And I think that's what's fun about it. Like, not fun, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it's something that you appreciate. Right. It, it uh, definitely more. makes it, like, that much more interesting. Yeah. Like, I mean, and then, of course, like, the actual content itself. Oh, absolutely. But then, I mean, it is just, it is just absolutely laced with, like, the most well 
produced yeah. music because oh, like of all time because like and, and actually i did read that um that this is the first time that any of the motown artists gave credit to the backing band to, yeah. the, to the funk brothers yeah like they he, didn't get credit for years right and then all of a sudden this is the first time on his album that he gave them he gave them their credit where it was due and yeah. I think he I think this is around the time. <clears throat> I don't know if he met Anna yet. He is either with Anna. Anna was uh Barry Gordy's sister. Oh yeah, she was he's, he's, Yeah, I'm going through the five hundred albums in reverse order and the one that he wrote for uh for Hair My Dear. Yeah. And was you know what's funny, on the cover of uh Afro Bebot, if you look close, it's my face on for Hair My Dear. Really? Really? Yeah. It's like real small. So it's my daughter Eris. And it's that because of what I was going through with a past relationship. And I had put that, like, it's layered. So it's wow. like my daughter, and then it says Afro Bebop, Terry Jones, instead of Here My Dear. And it's my face on Marvin's body as, like, Socrates. We gotta check that's, that out, because I was just showing yeah, you the yeah, album cover. Nobody, I was like, this nobody is really crazy. knows that, but yeah, that's, oh, wow. that's, that's, really that's cool. what that is. Um, uh, but, yeah, like, Afro Bebop was, like, supposed to be, like, my, for Here My Dear. But um, he uh, he was with her at the time. And then Motown was like giving him such a hard time on his albums that like now they're releasing his albums the way that he wanted them to be released. Right. Like it took years. It took death before it. Because they would, oh, no, you can't have that song. We want it this way. And that dude would like sing. And his he would do his own background vocals. Right. But the way he does his own background vocals and layers his music is... It sounds like something that shouldn't have. Like, <laughs> it doesn't. It's the crazy. Layering, the layering doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And like when you when you're looking at the like the song credits and like who wrote it and you see like Marvin Gaye lead vocals, Marvin Gaye background, background vocals, vocals yeah. you're like, <laughs> how you were recording to real? How did you yeah. what? Yeah, he was. Um, he he was. Uh, he was ahead of his time, man. And I think that's what's so special about Marvin. Right. Um, but yeah, what's going on is definitely probably the greatest. It's there. I'm always in search of the perfect album. I think we all are. Yes. Yeah. The whole reason you got this podcast, right? We're sure. in search of the perfect album. And within my lifetime, I've like found at least like maybe I might offhand know like 25. As I was I say, the, perfect the answer for one of them is Purple Rain. Oh, I mean, we ain't even going to talk about that. Purple Rain is one. Uh, I mean, you could even say Batman soundtrack. Yo, is. the Batman soundtrack. Mm. Chef's Kiss. Yeah. Like, that, <laughs> Chef's Kiss. It's, it's such a a goofy album, but like when you listen into it, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, Purple Rain is one. Um, I mean, we could go on, but. What's going on in uh, I Want You by Marvin Gaye? That, I was having trouble picking which one I wanted to do. Yeah, that's do, what you but, were saying. But I was like, let's go with what's going on because of the the political power behind it. I Want You is more like a love. He had just met his new wife and, you know, he's making music differently. So. Well, and I think, I think too, that uh, this, this album is aptly timed because of yeah. your track that you just released. Yeah, for sure. And I think we'll we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about that once we kind of go, go over this track one. to track on this one. But 
it it it's a it's a very very powerful album. Yeah, I, I think, and I, I I I it just it's crazy how it just has so much staying power when you look at it. And it's gotten it, so much more relevant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was so ahead of his time, yet it you know it it's relevant all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. I mean, um, Richard Pryor was the same way. I mean, I know they they knew each other and. Uh, you know, there's comedy bits by Richard Pryor that you listen to. Ironically, I mean, I even used one from that movie, and I know we'll talk about the track later, but Richard Pryor is in the beginning. Of, it's these things are still going on, and it's wild yeah, to think that there are people who will be like, this doesn't exist. And it's like, you do understand that people were singing about this 60 years ago, 70 <laughs> years ago, right? And to this day, like, think about You're it. That's still not crazy to say that, like, 60 years ago, I that, you know, this came out, or it, it's just wild. Yeah, like, it, really it, it's mind-boggling. It. It, it, but that's like, what makes things timeless, right? Right. You want to be timeless. You want to be heard forever. You don't want to be heard forever for the wrong things, unfortunately. But right. you do want to know that you have something that's so powerful that people that, listen to it and they're like, damn, he's right. Yeah, yeah. That it still sticks and it still helps whoever. It's still needs inspiring help in the people now. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. like, and, and I, I think what's interesting about the title track, and I'll I'll talk more about this in a minute, but I, I think what's interesting about it is even though it has, it thematically involves, you know, like the war and everything. Yeah. When you look at the actual content of it on the surface, it fits so much. It does. Of uh, it, it's it doesn't just fit that. I mean, it, it fits the the socio political climate that has been going on for the last you know yeah six years and how how poor things have gotten. And yeah. How things would just be better if people start taking care of each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's, yes. it seems so simple to me. Yeah, it's and wild. I mean, he got it. Yeah, and he he just he just got it. He just. Yeah, he was like, "Can we just like?" He just like got it, and he like oozed love, and like it was all right here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I also did enjoy how seamless he made the album, where he he had, I think the the term I saw for it was like a song cycle, where yeah. it like all of the songs in some way segue into each other. They they actually do, yeah. But then also I saw that it's also like a circular recording where the last track reprises back to the first track. No, it does. Yeah. Um, so like and I was like, wow, that's so uh Kendrick Lamar did it recently with Damn. Really? If you play Damn backwards it's nabbed or whatever you know how he's trying to be artsy but he everyone's like there's going to be a second album and the troll people he's like you got to play it backwards like play (laughs) the tracks backwards and it's a new album right and i was like he's full of shit so they re-released it digitally with the damn backwards or whatever right and i had already did it once he said that i was like let me just give it a try i said god damn he's not lying (laughs) so that's what this album is the same way you can play it backwards or forward like I'm not saying like backwards where it's like not not like that backwards (laughs) yeah I'm just letting y'all know not that backwards what I mean is backwards as far as the tracks just go uh, from the bottom up to the top and, and around and sometimes what I do with 
to learn if it's a perfect album. This is one of my tricks. I take the album, right? And then I do it backwards on the same playlist. So when it's done playing, it starts over, but it plays backwards. And then I can tell if it's, oh, this is a great album. And if you do that with Damn and you do it with this one, which is an interesting concept, you can do it as well. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a legit thing. My mind's like... <laughs> yeah, right? Wow. Well, see, I the difference between Josh and I and the way we listened to music for a long time, I would listen to a track here and there or whatever, and then... You know, doing the podcast, we start listening to full albums, and it's a completely different experience. Yeah. But now, like listening to it backwards, <laughs> right? Undo <laughs> everything you thought. Get ready. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're listening to it backwards. Um, but yeah, I also saw that, like, you know, that he he also he also based um, like a lot of the the content of it from first-hand uh, accounts from uh, one of the guys from, what group was it? The, oh, it was the, um, the protests at Berkeley Park. Yeah. And like, so it was based a lot on that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, that's so crazy that like, he actually talked to somebody that like, mm -hmm. first-hand witnessed that. Yeah. And just passed it along to him. And he was like, no, people need to to hear about this. Cool. Yeah, so like, it, it's just crazy that like he was able to take somebody's firsthand like witnessing of such a brutal act. Yeah. And turn it into such a powerful piece of music. Mm-hmm. And like he was just, and I even read like a lot of quotes that he had in conversation with Barry Gordy. He was like, "Oh yeah, this one's gonna be a protest album." And Barry Gordy was like, "Come on, yeah, come on." Yeah. And he's like, "No, no, for sure, this is gonna be a protest album." And he's like, "Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna go for that." Mm -hmm. So like he had a lot of pushback from from the label yeah. to do this album. They wanted him to make another, you know, another... Yeah, dancey type. Because Marvin, this was the first transition into the new Marvin. Right. Before, he had a song called, the, I think it's called The Hitch. And he did this little weird dance. And, you know, and it was uh, uh it was all like, uh, ain't no Mount high. It's all the stuff he did with Tammy. Right. And the stuff he did before that was all that, you know, we're going to play it on American Bandstand come see about me and all the like you know those Mo right. motown type hits and then right. he, he changed this album actually changed music in general oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah. i think it made a lot of people really take a hard look at the music that they were making mm -hmm. and say like is this going to impact people the way that what's going on did yeah because like if it's not we're going to rewrite it yeah yeah, yeah, one thing I was reading about, like, that turning point for him, he was just saying, like, I didn't know how to fight before, but now I think I do. I have to do it my way. So, mm -hmm. like, he's an artist. He's fighting with music. Yeah. Yeah. And it's powerful. Well, you know, a lot back, you're absolutely right. I, I didn't cut you off there. No, you're okay. fine. Um, Marvin Gaye, when he did that, because you brought that up, and that's a good point, a lot of 
the black musicians back then, especially black men, they didn't want you saying certain things, right? And you weren't allowed to even sing a certain way, which is why the baritone was always in the background of the song. They didn't want black men with voices that were large, scaring white America. So what they did was they would put the high pitch falsetto singing artist in front. Don't get me wrong. I love Eddie Kendricks. I love everyone that can hit those high notes. Right. But back then, that's what they would do with groups. And then they would try and like blend it a certain way so that they can try and recreate it with white artists. Or they would put like, they wanted it to seem uh, racially ambiguous at times. But that's the reason why you would have uh, like Teddy Pendergrass was in Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, but he was in the background. And Marvin Gaye had this voice that was it was the ultimate medium. It wasn't as super threatening as, quote, as they say. And it wasn't as high pitched as like Eddie Kendricks. Right. Which Eddie Kendricks, even with that voice, did a song called My People. And it's like a powerful political song. Really? When he left The Temptations. They just didn't want you saying anything. They just wanted you to make just make us money, go out there, shuck and jab, make us money. And keep your mouth shut. Back then, that was so much easier because, I mean, things weren't as publicized as they are now. Yeah. It's much easier to just... I mean, look at Sam Cooke. Only show what you wanted. Yeah, Sam Cooke was the same way. He was like, no, nah, I'm going to I'm gonna do this. Right. But what's going on, Marvin was like, no. I'm going to do what Sam and all these cats did before me and tried to do. And I'm going to do it even bigger. Right. And, yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's just, it's incredible that, like... You know, he this was self-produced. Yeah, like he produced on the whole album. So mm-hmm. like, that just takes it up like a whole nother level because he had complete control yeah. of how this album turned out to the extent that like, it, I even read that he he like protested against Motown until until Barry Gordy was like, "Fine, we'll release the album the way you've done it." Fine. Yeah. Because they, they didn't put it out the way that it was supposed There's a couple, like, different... Uh, the thing I like about Marvin Gaye is you can listen to any version of it, from acapella to however he mixes it, and it's still good. Right. Because he has these different concepts where he was like, maybe I didn't like that for that, or maybe this is what I originally wanted, but Motown said, no, nah, let's put a little more music behind it. Yeah. Yeah, you see that a lot. Yeah, So and he but he wanted it released a specific way. Exactly. It and they to. were just like... No, we're not doing that. And he was like, oh, well, that's weird. I guess I'll just stop performing for you. Yep. And they were like, oh, whoa, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. All right, we'll do it. Yeah, Barry Gordy was a asshole for that. Right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stories about Barry Gordy. That's what I've, I've heard. heard. I've, I've heard that, that Barry yeah. Gordy was, if for as good of a businessman as he was, he was also a really shitty human being. Oh, he... Uh, I've heard like personal stories from like older people, like their grandparents told them. Really? Like having issues with him in Detroit and California and him trying to buy properties and how he would try and like bully his way in. And, uh, you know, Rockwell dropped. <laughs> you know, that's his son, right? No. Yeah, Rockwell. I always feel like. No shit. Or Michael Jackson. Yeah. And then LMFAO, whatever their names is, that's uh, one of them's his son and the other one is his grandson. They're they're an uncle nephew duo, they're they're Gordy's man. 
I thought they were. No shit. Yeah. I thought they were related to uh, Smokey. Uh, I thought one of them was related to Smokey Robinson. Oh, I mean, pro- probably that too, because you know, uh, Smokey was probably with somebody in Gordy's family. Probably. Marvin Gaye was. You Clearly, know. Yeah. 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 They, they were all like tight knit. Well, this album specifically, I read that you know Gordy said if he finished the album within a certain amount of time, then he could do what he wanted. So Marvin's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do it." <laughs> like yeah. produce his own music and and everything. So, right. um, but yeah, the one thing that I did I did see is that like another big influential thing for him was like the letters that he got from his brother. Like it said that like. Because he was already, like you were saying, he was already, like, super in, a, like, a, a very fragile, like, mental state. Yeah. And then he was seeing, like, his brother send him all these these letters, like, when he came home. Mm-hmm. And, like, just telling him about all the stuff that he saw in the war and all the stuff that he was putting up with. Yeah. And he was just horrified. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine, like, like, how hard it would be to see somebody that you, that you grew up next to. Yeah you know struggling like that and i mean and it, it shows a lot throughout mm-hmm. you know this album for sure so i mean i i it really puts perspective on mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the content yeah um it does I, I especially when you know people that that were in the vietnam war yeah and having like family members and friends like you hear those stories and it you can really like unfill what he was saying on oh, yeah. the album. And oh, yeah. um yeah. So it that that is probably a bad feeling. We uh my grandma uh passed away a few years ago and we we're cleaning out her house getting like albums and stuff and her my step granddad, uh Rob, went to the Vietnam War and he like lied about his age and he wanted to get revenge because his brother died okay. in the war. So he wanted to go to the war. And he, it's crazy to see these pictures of him at 16. He lied. So you look at these pictures and it's a kid in Vietnam. And there were so many kids that were forced into this. And, you know, everyone came at Muhammad Ali for his protest and everything. But these were kids, literally 16 kids. I mean, the fact that you could lie, you, you can't even like you just learning how to drive. And now you have to learn how to use this gun. You have to learn how to be. And I'm looking at, at this photo album. And I mean, like so many songs are playing in my head because you you physically see it. It's like watching Platoon or something, but it's right. real. You know that someone experiences and the things that he's seen. And so it, it is very powerful because yeah. I you can feel that music and like looking at through this album and, you know, Jimi Hendrix is in my head and. Uh, like what's going on I'm like man and then people come back and they're, now they're addicted to drugs and everyone's like why well they're using opium over there and then over here you know there's heroin and people seen so many bad things that they don't know how to handle it right there was no good mental health back then like my granddad was in the Korean War God bless his soul and he was a mess from what I'm told like a horrible mess like to people and nobody ever thought, oh, we need to make sure you're okay. Let alone like black mental health back then. Mental health in general. Was black mental say, health, they, they, they didn't care. It was like, oh, okay. 
you know, you come back, you fight for the country and you coming back and it's like, okay, you, you're just another black person. Right. You know, we, we're going to segregate you. We're going to treat you like shit and continue to do whatever we have to do. So, you were good enough to kill for us and yeah, fight for yeah. us and all that, but now, yeah. Right. Yeah. right, and you're you're now officially mentally fucked for your country, but yeah, but we're not gonna we're do gonna treat about you it. like shit. Treat you like shit, yeah. So uh, a lot of this album is uh very. It has so many layers to to my heart in this, yeah. So I can understand how he probably felt, you know. Yeah. I mean? Oh like, yeah. Direct. I mean, I I can't even imagine like the actual the actual horrors that he was reading about. Yeah. Um. So I mean, like, I I think we should just get right into it. Yeah. So what we like to do is just kind of just go track by track and just yeah. talk a little bit about each track. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that we've that we've touched on before, and I need to, I need to think about this actively, mm-hmm. is that this this was the era of the record. Yeah. So like, I needed to remember that there was there was an A side and a B side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because like the fir- the very first episode that we did of this show, she gave me Abbey Road by the okay. Beatles, and I was like, "This doesn't jive." Like, there's a certain point where this it stops making sense. And it was then right she was, from here into here comes the sun, and yeah, I was like, and "You turn like, the record over." She's like, "That's when you turn the record over," and I was like, "Oh shit, that makes a whole lot more <laughs> yeah. sense now." But then when I looked at the way that they split this album up on the record it still kind of doesn't make sense to me because like i thought for sure that mercy mercy me was the beginning of the b-side mm-hmm. and it's not no it's not and no. i was i was surprised by that yeah i didn't even think to look where it split because i felt like it flowed pretty well and i didn't even right. think about so obviously the title track leads off the album yeah um i mean and it was a huge track i mean they they were saying that like you know this was his really his magnum opus as far as like deviating from that classic motown sound yeah and like really coming into his own as an artist yeah this is when it's like this is where i really listen to marvin yeah because like it's more personal Mm -hmm. like the other stuff was all was i mean it was all written in hitsville yeah, and it's called Hitsville USA for a reason because oh. that's what they do. Is they write out, they write the hits. Yeah, and it sounds like it too. Yeah, it's good stuff. But like, this is the Marvin that I I fell in love with. Right, is what's going on all the way up. Yeah, and this has feeling, got, and you can feel it. Oh yeah. yeah, this is very very personal. It's very very. <coughs> this is this is like the the MTV unplugged. Marvin yeah. Gaye. Like this this is the album that Marvin Gaye would do on an MTV <clears throat> on Yeah. Like, you know, dim lights, you know, in a on a stool in the middle of the room. <coughs> Excuse me. A couple of musicians sitting around him. Yeah. Smoking a smoking a joint like because mm-hmm. they that that's another thing that I read is like these were the most <laughs> laid back sessions. Like, oh, did you ever see the the video of him singing on the couch? No. If you get a chance YouTube it uh tonight or tomorrow it's uh him singing on the couch hitting notes that no normal human being should be able to hit while laying on the couch just just laying there hitting these notes singing well that's like i was reading in the in the one song um the one bass player the session one session player that they had that was part of the funk brothers yeah was so drunk 
<laughs> during a part of the recording that like he was actually laying on the floor playing mm -hmm. but like hitting every note yeah like it was nothing like they said that he had a bottle of liquor in his in his base case but like and he was like so drunk that he had to lay down mm -hmm. but was still in the in the groove with the rest of the band and i was yeah. like that's fucking insanity <laughs> yeah like but yeah like they said that it was super laid back like everybody was just real chill having a good time like I'm having a good time as much as you could mm -hmm. while writing one of the most deep records in the seventies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like it topped Sony charts. I mean, it sold 2 million copies. Mm -hmm. Like this, this song is just, it's huge. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, I would venture to say that it's probably easily one of the most influential songs of the last 50 years. Oh, I mean, maybe even longer than that, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, just, how it's layered, um, how he does each verse. Right. Um, it goes from brother, brother. Then you're talking about father. Then you're talking about, you know, sister. Like he, he's breaking it down into different levels of family. Right. And and the experience. Right. But it's it's cool because it's almost conversational. Yeah. It's like he's he's talking to everybody. Like where he's like having different conversations, like where he's talking to mom and he's like, you know. I know that it looks bad and it is, but like, don't cry for us. Yeah. And then it's like, dad, we don't need to like fight over yeah. everything. Like we just need peace. We need to be chill with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's just going through that progression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mother, mother, there's far too many of you crying. Right. Yeah. So like, it, it's really, brother, it's, brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's really, it's really crazy because like in that line in particular, when he mentions that, um, you know, because it was a lot of, you know, young, young men and, you know, going to service. Yeah. And it was, that's what it was. It was, you know, brothers and sons getting yeah. sent off to war and it was tough. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just, it's very, very impactful, especially when you, when you know that it topped mm. so many, so many charts and like it had so many copies that have just been sold and, and to know that it's so such a majorly impactful song like that. Yeah. Um there, there's there's a lot of layers to that song. Um for sure. Yeah. But I, I mean I I think the biggest thing, like I was saying earlier, is that I think that it transcends what its original purpose was. Mm -hmm. Um I mean like I think that you know, initially it was written as a, you know, this like war is hell kind of thing. Yeah. And, but I, I think that if you look at it, you know, it, it really, especially within the last, you know, couple of years with how bad things have been getting. Yeah. You know. I mean, even if you look at the protests, you play that song for the protests, like picket signs. Uh, don't punish me with brutality. Yeah, that's what I and, meant. Like uh, I remember being at um, it was one of the protests I was at in East Liberty, and they they didn't they didn't tell anybody that Trump had got on the news and said like, okay, you can officially just do what you have to do with these protests. I, and it it literally we ended at six. People kept marching 
he did that speech, police were set up. Pat bus came around, tenant windows, they set up like a Pat bus. Come around, cut off the people in the front. People was getting hit with tear gas, uh, beans, everything. And it was like, you know, every time that song just, that song just sticks. Yeah. It, it Like it's, it's timeless because you always have that. Yeah. It's frustrating because like they knew then. And nobody get nobody gets it. Yeah. Nobody got it then. They Nobody's didn't listening. You. No, they don't. And that's what's going on. Yeah, isn't that that's the how crazy is that? Just just saying that. Right. What's going on? Like he's literally asking. Right. He's like, Yo, what's going what's on? What's going on right now? Like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, and like it's just it's just crazy that like fifty years later, it's still relevant because nothing has changed. Yeah. And it's a shame. Mm-hmm. honestly but i mean i just think that it's that this song alone is just it's a a beautiful piece of music I it mean, is it's very powerful the musical arrangement itself is very beautiful yes, and it like it's just the background layers the it's, background vocals. Oh, it's just so good i, I i've been a, oh i'm sorry go ahead. no i'm just saying i was i was reading about that double the double lead vocals and that was an accident or whatever by the engineer and like marvin heard it and was like well that works yeah so then like <laughs> it wound up being like his thing which it, i was pretty impressed because the, that and that changed music forever right because there's only a few people that can emulate what marvin did there's only like three one of them we ain't gonna name because he's in prison and you could probably guess who that is it's not bill cosby uh, <laughs> 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 but uh you know, there's only a few. Uh, Brian McKnight's one of those. And that layering of how they changed it. You know, I'll, my favorite part of the song was always uh, the, the the brothers all uh, talking to each other. Like, yeah. Like it's a party. Like, hey, brother, what's happening? Like, you know, we used to do that all the time in school. Uh, yeah, and I, I actually but... saw that in that part, he actually had uh, a couple guys from the Detroit Lions in the studio when they were recording this just strictly to have them there talking in the background yeah like that's all that's all he had them doing he was just like go stand back there but like close enough to a microphone yeah that we can just hear you guys talking yeah and i i just think that 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 made it even more so like a like a you get the vibe like you're at you you are in the moment with them like yeah. you're you're there it makes you feel more self-aware of the fact that like these were just regular people yeah that they believe that what was going on was wrong was bullshit yeah and it was yeah and and it was it was messing up everything it was f- fucking this country to no end yeah. and they knew it mm-hmm. so i i think that just makes it so like so crazy yeah i i just love that part man i i've always loved it right just i can dig it yeah solid you know like right. like the man. lingo the, the 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 whole swag of it and it it makes you feel good because you're hearing these guys like come together peacefully and that's what they're asking for you just ask for peace right yeah and i think like you said that makes you feel like you're part of it you know you're hearing this conversation and then between that and then you know each few lines you know mother mother brother brother so like it's oh, yeah. talking to everyone everybody yes. is somebody's mother sister brother. Yeah, so totally, yep. it means everyone should right. listen it's a perfect song yeah oh yeah it, it, I, it, 
I can't say enough about it. We could have done a whole episode on this song. Just on the song alone, yo, like... And then, like, I, I love the, did, 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 you know, when he goes into that, I'm like, yes, Marvin. Like, right. Yeah. And and that was another thing that uh, that Barry Gordy actually gave him shit for. Because he was saying, like, you know, like, nobody's going to buy into that jazzy shit. Yeah. Like that Dizzy Gillespie jazzy shit. Nobody's going to buy into that. And Marvin Gaye was just like, mm, yeah, Kiss I think ass. they will. They will. Yep. And they did. I mean, I, I, yeah, but I love that that part because it really, I think mm-hmm. it kind of breaks up, like, the severity of, like, the heaviness. And then he ha- you kind of have that, like, that mellow, that mellow stuff. And, and then, then it, it, it pushes right at the end. Yep, and put, punches and, you right back. Yeah, and it's just like, it's like, but but at the end, if you really listen, it, like, it's so much stronger like, because it almost sounds more layered. Like, yeah. more people are, more. are singing in, and, like, the musicianship is is more yeah. full. I think it's supposed to, So it, like it's it, taking it, you on a journey. To right, it. so it, it almost makes it feel like you like you started a little, like, a small fire, and, like, your protest has built up and built mm-hmm. up, and now you're in this peaceful group of people, mm-hmm. and you guys are all singing the same, like... Same. Yep. So I, I, I think that that... It, it just every moment of this song is powerful. Yeah, the, the the jazzy feel to it is important because what people don't realize is jazz is the purest music form on the planet. Yeah, and um, a lot of people don't realize that, but there's no music form more pure. Um, it's kind of like stand up is the purest art form because you have no music behind you. It's just you and a mic, and you're doing it. So, um, which is why like a lot of the best comedians are jazz comedians right richard pryor george carlin dave chappelle said Thelonious monk was a big so to have marvin bring that jazzy like because jazz was kind of dying off jazz was big uh from like the 30 20s up until like maybe the 40s right then they started that motown sound the rock and roll the hitsville stuff and then he's like no we're gonna go back to what we created right and it's it's i mean and if you really think about it i mean and, and it the the lineage musically goes back i mean it's it's been traced that like without jazz there would be no rock music there'd be no rock there'd be no uh there'd be no rock there'd be no hip-hop there'd be no there's a lot of things that we wouldn't have because jazz and jazz changed music forever right and no matter what mood you in if you put jazz on it works it's the only music that you could do that like if if i'm sad and i want to listen to drake you know that's different but right if you are like sad and you listen to jazz it might help mellow you out or no matter what mood you're in if you put jazz on right yeah no it, absolutely yeah. Yeah. so yeah it was it was cool to hear him bring it back absolutely because he brought it back in the next few albums too. yeah so yeah yeah so i think it's really interesting that you had what's going on that opened the album yes. and then it flows right into What's happening, brother? Yes. Which also is a really powerful song because mm-hmm. it's kind of like it, it. I think that feels even more personal. Yeah. Because it's like it. It might. It. I think it's both meant in a figurative and literal sense, where mm-hmm. he's talking to his brother. Yeah. Because like I think he's like shell shocked. 
Well, Reed's conversationally, too. Yeah. It sounds like a conversation. You know, I'm just getting back. You know, what's going on here? And yeah. Trying oh, yeah. to... And he says, like, he's out of touch and, like, mm-hmm. you know, and out of touch, out of work, can't find money, like... Yeah. So it's really... You're, you're really feeling the struggle of a guy that just busted his ass to save the country. And then can't. he comes home and can't get a job and doesn't know anybody anymore. Called a baby killer, called all kind of things. So right. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of Vietnam vets got it bad, but the black Vietnam vets came back to being poor. And that was one of the big issues. A lot of the black vets were coming back to the hood. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to the military to escape the hood, to get something better. And I'm coming back just to be trapped into a whole nother world that's different than what i i was just worried about bombs and being ambushed at night and now i can't even get a job at a butcher shop you know what i mean like it's it it was a very powerful yeah yeah i was reading like uh, you know the the u.s was a very different place before and after it was like you know a press you know prosperous and everything economically before the war and then everything changed yeah and you get people coming back that was were injured and whatever so they had to figure out how to make life work mm-hmm. in this new like yeah i mean it, it just this is this is a picture of of how badly a war can fuck a whole country yeah it's just it's crazy to like look at a piece of music like this and you're like damn like mm-hmm. to to see that it just left it in such shambles is like it's just wild yeah yeah so you know and i feel like i feel like this song is just like a really good continuation it is of like the feel of what what's going on and and what's happening brother they kind of have like the same yeah the vibe yeah Yeah, it's, it's trying to take you on a journey to understand the the uh black experience and the experience of a black vietnam war vet and the experience of black america right um and experience of the, the, a culture. It right. was trying to really let people have an inside understanding of, yo, this is what's happening. Like Marvin Gaye, it could have been a dope rapper, but rap <laughs> didn't really exist back then. Right. Like I, I sometimes wish that I could hear what's going on as a rap album. I mean, people will say, yo, well, Talib Kweli and most stuff, and like you can name all these different people who are conscious, but I this as a rap album would be right it'd be amazing it'd be crazy because i know he would come up with some really good stuff yeah but and and you gotta think back then he had to sing this he couldn't rap about it so the 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 power in it is it is different than j cole and kendrick lamar and and uh you know anyone else before that nwa and ice cube and this is that but yeah in singing form and he did it enough for it was peaceful enough for people to be like I'm gonna take a listen to it. it. It wasn't too aggressive. It didn't make him feel a certain way. But right. he got his point across. Yeah. 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 People listened to it and they were like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Although now <laughs> it seems like you almost have to make people uncomfortable to make them listen. Yeah, sometimes, I guess. <laughs> certain groups of people. Yeah, yeah. I'll put I, it that way. <laughs> I, I think I think it's just that just happens because you feel there's new feelings now. There's new forms of expression we're allowed to express ourselves more aggressively or however we want 
Right. Back then, he had exactly. rules. He had a record deal. That um, black men weren't even allowed to really dabble in this. It was go out there, make us a hit. And he was like, "Kiss my ass, I'm right. changing the world." And he did. He did. That's impressive. It is. It's super impressive. Right. Um, so then that's followed up by "Flying High in the Friendly Sky," I love this song. which, I mean, the arrangement is great, but I feel like it's it really shows somebody's struggle with with drugs, like with yeah. substance abuse. I mean, and I know that that he eventually got really really deep in with cocaine yeah um oh he yeah he had a very bad drug but at this time he was only like smoking weed yeah but even still like this was him like basically his statement saying that like you know he needed the drugs to to get out of his head and to get out of the situations that mm-hmm. that he had to deal with and um, I, I just thought that this was a really... It's one of my favorite songs ever. Really? Yeah. I love this song. Um, the arrangement's good. Oh, yeah. The vocals are good. Um, it just takes me on a journey. I think I grew up around... I had a lot of family members who were on drugs. I mean, it, we don't really like talk about it. <laughs> but um, I grew up around like a lot of this stuff. So okay, like, now you're my, not you're not gonna walk into the family reunion like yeah, no, remember that time that you did drugs? No, nah, you know, uh no, like my parents were amazing people. They weren't drug addicts, but you know, we had family members that were, sure. you know, aunts, uncles and stuff. So I, I saw a lot of this and I think this song just takes me on a journey like, you know, I'm going on twelve years no alcohol. And uh, appreciate it. And um, you know, I had i just didn't want to like smoke weed and stuff like that anymore i've tried it but it's not for me um just trying to go into a better place because this song like you can feel this yeah if you've ever been high before if you ever gotten high to escape something this song takes you on that journey yeah and it's like you know flying high in the friendly skies that's crazy yeah. Because it's taking you to a place you want to escape everything. And back then, the drugs were hard. You know, people were coming back from Vietnam and sticking needles in their own. And, you know, uh, in the 70s, a lot of people were overdosing and stuff like that. And, you know, you just see it. So th- this song is just, I think that's why it's one of my favorite songs ever. Is just because I know the power between it. Honestly, every song on this album is. Yeah. But, you know, it's. There's something about it, and it's been sampled in rap music and stuff like that. But the way he's trying to explain to you why I'm getting high. Well, then he brings the other side into it too, like how much pain, mm-hmm. you know, how he goes crazy when he can't find it, and yep. then the the line that was super powerful was about I'm hooked uh, by friends to the boy who makes the slaves out of men. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, so yeah. it's like you you see the the euphoric side of it, but then you also see like the fiend side of it, where yeah. it's just like that it owns you. Yeah, it owns you. Yeah, I mean that's addiction. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the power behind it. Yeah, it's, it's that addiction. If you've ever been addicted to anything, um, you know it's like I need to get it, and and if you can't get it, you're but these drugs, the harder drugs. I mean, we 
we had stuff stolen. You know what I mean? Like um, that you would that people was just stealing money and all kind of stuff. So you know what it's like, and and then you there's a lot to it, and I think that's why I like this song because it takes you. It explains why I'm getting high, and like you said, it explains the damages of why I'm getting high. Absolutely. And ex- the damages of this and everything. And when you think, you know, paired with the other songs, why, you know, people returning from the war were doing this and, uh-huh. you know. PTSD. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't, no one knew about PTSD back then. That's why my granddad was, was abusive. It yeah. was because PTSD, but nobody looked out for him and was like, yo, are you okay? Yeah. You know? Because it, cha- it changes your brain. Yeah. yeah. Like the chemistry and like nobody even. Absolutely. Yeah, no. It, I mean, it 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 is very similar. I, I would never use this comparison in general, like in any derogatory kind of way. But the the diagnosis level of things is very similar to how like football players were mm-hmm. through the seventies and eighties, where there was no concussion protocol. No. So like these guys were literally losing their fucking minds i mean and even into the 90s i mean you you had some of the bigger stars i mean look at junior sale yeah you know i mean look at um oh what the hell was it warren moon no 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 not warren steve mcnair yeah 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 like it was actually but like you just have these guys that were, you know, top tier athletes, mm-hmm. but nobody was able to put a pinpoint label on it. Well, nobody cares about when black men are hurt. And that's a, that's a, the, I, there's a lot of difference between the communities and even to this day. Like, there's so many people that I meet when we talk about like childbirth. And the way that they like do black women in the hospitals and then you look up like how many black women are dying giving birth and then the injuries of black women versus the injuries of white women and how they're treated differently so you have black men who are coming in and you know you get a phone call like there's been many times where there's phone calls to the police no one's telling them this person has mental health issues, right? Because in the black community, we don't really acknowledge it much. So Uncle Ray Ray is just going crazy. Uncle Ray Ray is going crazy. Uncle Ray Ray is schizophrenic. Now the police are pulling up and Uncle Ray Ray is getting brutalized or killed. Why is that? Because nobody thought to think about him having mental health issues. Right. But dude goes up, shoots up in uh, a, a nail salon or a massage parlor, whatever it was in, in Georgia. White man goes down there, kills a bunch of Asian women, and he's having a bad day. So, you know, that's the power behind this is that these black men were coming back. In in the Vietnam War, they didn't, my, uh, who was it? It was either a cousin or an uncle. One of my family members was in uh, either, it was either in Korea or Vietnam, but they all had the same stories. Black men get surrounded. They say, take your ass home. This ain't your war. This is a white man's war. They they didn't even want to kill him. They said, "What is your this country don't even care about you? What the hell? What the hell is you fighting for them for? Like you go back home, they're gonna treat you like shit." And they were letting black men live off the strength of being like, "Your country don't like you. 
Why are you here? So, you know, you take that into consideration and you come back and you got this, this stuff right here. Yeah, this music. Now I'm addicted because I have PTSD. I can't find work. I'm being treated like shit, you know, and I'm going to end up homeless. I'm going to end up drugged out. I can't take care of my family. It's it's a whole different vibe. Yeah. And and they continue. Anytime there's something going on with um, black people and especially black men, it's like you are, you know, you are a threat. I feel threatened by you. You right. feel threatened by a man who fought for your country, whether it's Vietnam to Iraq to anything else we got going on. Right. I mean, we even saw recently with the one, um, I he, I think he he was a ranking officer, and they pepper sprayed him at a gas station while he was in his car. And he's like, "Yo, I'm not trying to do anything," and they were like, "It's a violation, traffic violation." So. This this song, this album makes sense. It's like, yo, okay, these black men are coming back and you have to, like, you're nothing to us. This is how our country sees you. So, yeah, that's why the song is, like, powerful. The album's very yeah. strong. Yeah. No, I, I get it. And it, it just, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. the, the whole the whole thing is just, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's, it's so heavy. And, I mean, like, it's nuts and that you're right this song definitely like carries that feeling you know that people turn to, to drugs because they struggle with whatever mental thing they were suffering and they that was the only way they could find escape yeah so uh so after that is uh, save the children yeah one of them, i love this song which is i think it's a really interesting composition because like it's, it's short. Part, it's short, and it's part spoken word, mm-hmm. which makes it even more interesting because, like, I feel like that didn't happen too often. Like, you didn't have a lot of spoken word. No, not then. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's really, it's another one of those like, like it, it, the message behind it. You're mm-hmm. like, you're. He's really showing that, like yeah this is a this is shit like everything is is garbage and these kids are going to grow up and everything is going to be garbage for them mm-hmm. and he wasn't wrong i mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you look at it you're like good god man why how did you know yeah but like he, that's what he was trying to say like we got to change something for these kids or they're gonna have nothing yeah and he's willing to try to save the world that's destined to die <laughs> Yes, like, yeah. Oh, Who's man. gonna save the children? Yeah. I think that that it's a really a really deep uh, look at the the ripple effect mm-hmm. of like the war and everything. Like you know, when he says like save the children, you know, let's let's make the world better for them. Yeah. Because he he saw firsthand what was happening and he knew and I, I think that that is another really like insightful thing on his part that like he was so smart yeah. that like he saw that happening and he was like this isn't good like which is why they they always say that this is one this is also impactful in an ecological way mm-hmm. because like he saw the impact that it was having on the world in general not just the united states yeah um 
he was worried about, you know, we don't, we didn't think about the environment when we were kids, except for like, I mean, we had Captain Planet and shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> Hell yeah. But we just knew not to litter and stuff like that. We didn't right. know about greenhouse effect until they taught it to us in middle school and different things. So I think that's what's so shocking about this is that he's talking about the environment in like the seventies. Right. When, and it's still relevant. Right. <laughs> like how, how much can we destroy the world and each other for this album to stay relevant? Like, right. you know, cause people are like, wait a minute. He's talking about what pollution. The fish, yeah, it's it is amazing, right? So, and as a parent, you, your views change on this. Like this song is very powerful as a parent, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely mindful a lot of of just seeing. I mean, and especially, I feel like this this last year and a half has been a testament to that. Like, because yeah. it's it's almost like a paranoia level where you're you're like. You know, you you want you want to just like put them in a bubble, yeah, and just like set them on the couch and say, okay, don't move, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know that you don't want to coddle them too much, mm-hmm. that they don't have like life experience either. So yeah. like, you're like, where where's the line? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and sending them out in the world on their own. <laughs> yeah, scary. I mean, like, because you're. <laughs> Your kids are a little bit older. Yeah, I've got a teenager. He wants to get a job and all that stuff. And I'm just like, man, he's like making his choices. And (laughs) oh man, it's tough. (laughs) My my kids are uh, four and five. Eris will be six in July. And uh, just the the fact that they want to like do anything by themselves freaks me out. And I'm not ready for that yet. (laughs) I'm not ready for what you're experiencing. Got almost fifteen. Almost fifteen and nine. Man. She's got her own independence too, and it's scary. Uh, Such yeah. a different world than we grew up in too, because yeah. like cell phones and social media. Yeah, it's like they're exposed to so many things that we. Too much. Oh yeah. They're exposed to way too much, and uh, you know, even bullying. Like I remember, I get my ass kicked, and then I could go home and eat a meal and watch Power Rangers and chill. You know what I mean? And be like, I might get my ass kicked tomorrow, but at least you know I'm off. I'm getting my ass kicked for a few hours. You know what I mean? Like it's like doing a, a a shift. You know when you get bullied, it's like okay, I'm gonna go get eight hours of my ass kicked, and then I'm gonna go home. I'm enjoying my family dinner. Go to bed. I'm gonna think about getting my ass kicked in the morning, and then I'm gonna get it. You know, right? But get to now sleep at night and be refreshed, or, or bullying or whatever. That's that's how I got funny. I had to learn how to fight back with comedy but right you're like okay so from 3 30 to 4 30 <laughs> i got mac and cheese and the story arc with the green ranger figuring yeah, out yeah. that he's not a bad guy yeah and then existential dread for a couple hours because i know <laughs> tomorrow yeah probably gonna be worse yes it is so <laughs> yeah that but you know kids today that they, they get bullied in their sleep you know, you're getting DMs, you're getting spam, you're getting tagged and stuff. It's, People post stuff about you. Yeah, I mean, stuff about you. And, they're, oh. they're, now they're photoshopping people's faces on stuff like they did those poor girls, those cheerleaders that that uh, adult oh, yeah. mom uh, yeah. posted them on fake nudes and stuff like that to ruin. You know, there's it's it's insane what the youth have to do and or go through. And then you listen to the song and like, 
he did it again. Like I'm pretty sure he was a time traveler <laughs> at this point because he, right? he's talking that real shit again. Right? You're Seriously. like, oh god, yeah. oh god. So then he gets kind of a little more back to his roots with the next track. He touches more on his like his spiritual side. Yeah. Because uh, his dad was a preacher, he's raised in the church. Right. So he his dad was a piece of shit. Yes. Obviously. No. Uh, you know yeah, his dad that, was a cross-dresser? What? His dad used to cross-dress. He's a preacher, right? Right. And he would like fondle with women and do stuff he wasn't supposed to. And he would cross-dress and just sit in that living room and like like chill, and, like dress as a woman. And that could be a lot of the reason why he had so much anger in general. But um, the kids used to come and look in the window and watch Marvin's dad dressed up as a... Uh, and that he professes mom like it's crazy and he was so evil to marvin oh yeah I mean, he was he so was, evil like well. <laughs> yeah it but it was just like he was dressed like norman bates mom you know what i mean like Shit. chilling but it wasn't like the typical like it's it this wasn't like some i mean maybe back then there was things that he was dealing with where he couldn't like come out about but he he took that anger and put it on the marvin yeah oh yeah he beat the shit out of him yeah and and eventually shot him with the gun that he bought him the day before his birthday yeah. so it's like it's it's wild to think about like i mean and it's even crazier to think about that he this song was for him you know why he did a song like this is because his dad would get on him and be like you need to do more for the church do you need to sing about god yeah and, and it was and never he, good enough yeah and he he it's actually said that he dedicated this song to god and his dad uh-huh and i was like man if only he knew. See, he could write all this deep shit about stuff that was going to be relevant 50 years later, but he couldn't see into the future and see that his dad was going to shoot him in a few years. Well, you know, you know what was wild about it is that he spent his whole career trying to get his dad to support him. Right. Literally, everything he did was just to get his... And he would do interviews, and he was like, oh, this is what my dad... And his dad would, like, ruin the interview. I'm like, well, you know, you got to get back to the church and the God and stuff. But it, this song is another one where it's like, it's a powerful song. God is my friend. Don't talk about God. And just trying to put that into people's heads again. Because a lot of people, um, I don't judge anyone who is atheist or anything. Whatever you do, you do. Um, that's on your life. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't judge people. But you're only burning hell for not believing in God. But I will say that there's a level of God that we have all forgotten. And, you know, they taught it to us young. Like, there's an episode of X-Men where Wolverine's praying to God at the end, Jesus. He accepts Jesus Christ at the end. I'm like, Wolverine? Yo, he, kill, <laughs> he kills people. <laughs> and so even superheroes. Yeah, even superheroes need Jesus. But uh, <laughs> this song is powerful because it, he's really just trying to let people know, hey, everything is trying to sway us away from God. It's time for us to get back to love. And yeah. God is love. God is the answer. Love is the answer. So right. I, I think that's what makes this such a powerful song. Yeah. And I and, and I mean, I understand it. You know, I mean, I, I grew up Catholic. What, that's, I grew up with the Catholic guilt. That's a different beast. That's, Same. yeah. I, I, that, I always, that, ain't, that ain't typical. That no, ain't down South Baptist. No, no, no. No, no. That's not, that's not oh, wholesome. Yeah. God is good. That's, that's oh, yeah. fire yeah. and brimstone. Oh, yeah. That's fair, man. Yeah. I, let yeah, me, so let I, me tell you something. I went to a I went to a Catholic wedding and I was terrified. 
because it felt like uh, The Omen. And uh, <laughs> like <laughs> all the music was all music that I've seen in uh, horror movies about demons. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. like, what is, are we like here for a wedding? Or are we here for an exorcism? Like, what is, which probably, one is it? They probably all think we need, you know, complimentary exorcisms. Oh, man. It's like, it's like no matter what, it's the same. It's like, yeah. you know, you go to a, a Baptist church and they got like the Marvin Gaye style music. And right. And you know, you're like, oh, okay, this is cool. But you go to the Catholic church and see, uh, stand up, sit down, kneel, yeah, stand, sit. sit. I was like, look, man, I ain't about to get up again. <laughs> right. You're like, if I'm up, I'm up. If I'm down, I'm down. We're not doing this for 45 minutes. Yeah, Nothing everybody, here. I was like, oh, this is too much work. Uh, right. But yeah, God is, it, it is a very good song. It I is. just have to say, like, it's amazing to me that he has this kind of faith when his father, who is a person of God, acts this way. I... It's got to be some faith to see through that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to see past when that. you when you are, the, especially where he comes from, when you have there's a certain level of like how we're taught faith. Um, different, like maybe it's a little different in the black community as far as like because of so much bad was happening that a lot of people went to religion for uh, relief. Right. So that faith is we were always taught that you have to at least keep the faith of a mustard seed which that's within all christianity to teach you that but it's really heavy where it's like always keep your faith and it, it you're right it does show a very powerful uh you know your dad is this and you're going through this and you're seeing your brother this and you're doing that but marvin used to say that you know good artists suffer for the people and his whole idea of that is that i'm going through this shit so y'all don't so i want you to learn about love well yeah i mean it's really humbling that like this is how he chooses to to share this message and like people still don't listen yeah (laughs) no they won't it's just so frustrating but Uh, yeah it's it's crazy to see the level of faith and it's kind of inspiring yeah it is i also thought that it was really cool that he he took the title straight out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's from uh, what was it, one John four eight. Yeah. Uh, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Yep. I was like, wow, that's people forget that. Yeah, they don't, and it's it's a message because we get so caught up in. Um, the the problem is that Christianity and a lot of religion is weaponized in general. Yeah, and because it's weaponized, it, you know, we lose that faith. We lose the truth behind it, which is that God is love, that we are supposed to love each other. And it's the reason that, like, you know, the three of us are in this room right now and the energy is positive because it's three people coming together with positive energy. Right. If you two had negative energy and I had positive, it won't work. If I had negative and you two had good energy, it won't work. Like if I was just saying, like, yeah, I guess. Right, you know, it's gonna it's gonna fuck up the show. Right. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. No, it's it's true. Um, so I think the next the next track on this album is probably one of the most. Even though that, even though the title track is one of his biggest songs, I mm-hmm. think that "Mercy, Mercy Me" is one of his most recognizable 
because I think it's been sampled a lot. A yeah. lot. He's been sampling a lot. But I mean, like, specifically, like, mm-hmm. like clips from this song. Yeah. Like, you hear it a lot. But I mean, Mercy, Mercy Me is, it's a very, 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 very well written song. Oh, very. But like, it has such a wild message behind it. Yeah. It's like, I have to say, like, I knew this song. I think everyone knows this song, but I never realized, like, it's one of those things I don't think I really listened until. Yeah. 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 Because you listen to it, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, it's a beautiful song. And then you, like, really listen to it. And you're yeah. like, oh, wait, shit. He's talking about, like, oil spills and, yeah. and radiation mm-hmm. and, like, what? No, like, mercy, mercy me. Things ain't what they used to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Radiation. Like, he's, he's essentially <laughs> just talking about, like, what happened to the good old days when mm-hmm. like we didn't have to worry about is the water that we're drinking going to kill us? Yeah. Like ironically, uh, Donald Glover's version of this would be, uh, feels like summer. Oh shit. It's actually about the environment. People don't know that. So yeah, go back and listen to feels like summer and, and then listen to this and, and put them next to each other. Shit. Yeah. Not, not many people know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to really i had to really listen and then i looked up some stuff and i was like oh okay because it feels like summer and it's not summer it's talking about the global warming it's just oh. it's such a well-layered song just like mercy me that you you're so caught up in the song that you're not realizing that it's the message yeah. damn yeah it feels like summer that makes shit i'm gonna have to go back and listen to yeah. that now yeah, <laughs> damn, that got me fucked up. Um, it's amazing what you can hide in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Oh, damn. But yeah, like for him to be so like cognitive of how much destruction was going on to the planet mm-hmm. during the seventies, like yeah, is just so so impressive. Like, well, yeah, I mean, even what they were doing, like in relation to the war with the chemicals and things like they were making it so that, you know, not only did it kill like the food supplies, but like years to come, like nothing can grow there. Right. Like you've completely like ruined it. Yeah. I mean, and it just, but I also did read accolade wise that like this song, it was his second uh, like million copy mm-hmm. song, which I mean, it again shows that the, that the message not necessarily was forefront here. That like the composition definitely also was a very very important thing for this song. Yeah, because it's I mean it's a well written piece of music. Yeah, I mean and like it was number four on the Billboard pop charts. It was number one for two weeks on the R and B singles charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the rare appearances he had on the adult contemporary charts. Yeah. Like, he, he was two weeks at number nine in Canada. Yeah. Like, what? what? You don't have a song <laughs> yeah. that does that. Yeah. But especially, like, in the 70s. No. They just, the music didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's mind-blowing that, like, he was writing such, like, woke music. Yeah. And it, it was so impactful, but also like so fucking well written. Yeah, like it was popular music. Yeah, he knew he knew he was guided in the right direction. Yeah, there, there's a certain way that art guides you. Absolutely, he knew. 
And so this actually was the end of the A side. Yep. I thought for sure that this song would have started the A side, but no, it actually is right on. Yeah. Which starts the B side. So I was I when I read that and I and then I like after I read that I listened to the album again mm-hmm. and I was like, okay. That kind of makes sense, I guess, because when you listen to this song, the way it ends it out, it's almost like the intermission of a of a musical, like mm-hmm. where you have listened to this guy talking about how much he's been suffering mm-hmm. and dealing with all this. And like, you know, he he was trying to get everybody as an activist on his side and talking to people about how much he was struggling and then he had drugs and everything wound in there, but then he was being an activist again and then he found God Mm -hmm. and then he found science and he was like, you know, these are things that, that everybody should be a part of. Yeah. So like, I feel, I feel like that was a really, powerful way to end the the a side and then you get into the b side and you start with right on which like is is literally just like people finding passion in their hearts and like coming together and that and that seems to be the almost the theme for the next two songs is like compassion and unity and like all that kind of yeah that kind of stuff so it's almost like it's like a, a rise out of the struggle yeah and which i i think is really really powerful it is um have you watched the five bloods yet by uh spike lee directed no. this on netflix um it's about these vietnam war vets that go back it's actually one of chadwick boseman's last roles but um they use what's going on as the whole soundtrack for the there's oh, a wow. version of what's going on that's just an acapella version that I wish I could find, but I can't find it. Anyway. It's only in that movie. And they use it to show, because they have the flashbacks of what they did, and they go back to Vietnam to find this gold or whatever. And they use all these songs oh, as different versions like throughout the... It's pretty dope. That's crazy. Yeah, it's called gonna, The Five Bloods. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, check it out. That sounds really cool. After, especially after you know dissecting yeah. this you'll right you'll i guess you guys will enjoy it. it's a long movie but spike lee directed it yeah. so yeah so right on is a song that they use on there but right on is it is a power it's it's a different form of power it's yeah, like cause uplifting it, yeah because it's like it, it's it's basically showing that you have to find the compassion within yourself to help each other yeah and like you know just just don't it's basically saying like don't hold each other back push pick each other up and yeah. elevate each other to that to that level so i mean and it does lead into the next song which is which is holy holy mm-hmm. i think that like they kind of intermingle really well because like holy holy is all about like unity and love and like you know, like the togetherness within like grace and faith and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And love's the salvation. Yeah. So I, I think that it's it, both of these songs are very, very uplifting. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it really, 
it really paints a different picture than the first five songs do. Yeah. But they're still very, very like well composed. It almost feels I think the word I'm looking for here would be like dreamy. Yeah. Where the, the music is kind of like there's kind of like a like a Latin flair to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like it it's it's almost that. got kind of like a dreamy kind of in the clouds kind of vibe. Yeah. Which he was going for a lot yeah. in this album. Yeah. And you could really feel it. Um and the different use of instrumentation, like there's you hear a lot more like woodwinds, like yep. a lot a lot of flute, a lot of mm-hmm. There's some some heavy strings in the background on this. So like I feel like, you know, this was definitely kind of like the 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 ebb and flow of of this story was on the up the upstroke yeah. close to the end. True. So I, I really I thought that it was really cool the way that he mapped this album out. Yeah. It it it's um but I, I think it also uh, is really interesting that he decided to end it the way that he did mm-hmm. because uh, the last song, which is "Inner City Blues," make me want to holler. The way they do my life, yeah. Yeah, I mean uh-huh. it's like, and it's crazy too because like you know the the a lot of the stuff that I read, and I mean you can hear it, you know, it, it's talking about like the struggle in the in the ghettos and you, like. You ever see the video? No. Yeah, there's a music video for it. I didn't know that. It's on YouTube. Yeah, check check it out. It, I'm gonna have it, to look that up. The visual of the music video with that is wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know when this video was filmed, but one day it was on YouTube, and I was like, I don't know. They they didn't film this in the '70s, not like this. But <laughs> I I think that the estate was trying to give a music video for the song, and they filmed it showing the struggle. So you like you're in the projects, you see it. And it, this album is just, it's the perfect black experience. It's, if you want an inside look at the black experience from the views of black America in that place, that is the album. Because Inner City Blues is such a song that it's called Inner City Blues. Right. Make me want to holler like, it's literally like that. He's like taxes, the raising taxes, the properties, the landlord. Like he's naming all the shit. It's like, yo, can I get a fucking break? Right. And it's like, yeah, I mean, and, and it even is also like set to the backdrop of like the space race. Yeah. Like calling up, <clears throat> calling out the government for, you know, spending this money when so many people are suffering and it could be so much, you know, better used. Yeah. Yeah, it this and Ball of Confusion by The Temptations was like two of those songs that was truly where like black people were calling out the bullshit like you're doing this but you're not doing this for us. Right. Uh, and Ball of Confusion is as powerful as like inner city blues. But yeah, you had they had to call it out because it's you're looking at this and you're just like you're spending money on this. You're raising money on this. You're you're fucking us over, but you're doing nothing to help us, right? You know, and there people. But then it, on the, on the other side of of the hand, they also expect you to do everything for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like okay, but like you're not you're not giving me anything 
to do that. Yeah. How how do I do the thing if I don't have anything to do the thing with? Like, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They want you to to get to this point, and you're not even starting at the starting line. You're like well beyond, you know, behind the starting line. You're sitting in the like, you're sitting in the bleachers. Well, they're not even letting you be yeah. there yeah. and expecting you to get where everyone else is, and it's like. Yeah. It's true. It's it it amazes me what they do. Um, to this day i mean i could i could go on even with like some of the stuff that's going on with the politics now with biden signing you know he signed the anti-asian which good good for the asian community i'm not knocking that because that is something that you need to do um but then it's like there's so much more that could have been done for the black community because i mean my, my text my text message was blowing up. Come vote for me, Negro. Like, <laughs> I need that Negro vote. Like, you know, and that's what they were doing. And then it's like, we're just going to give you Juneteenth as a holiday, but we're going to actually make moves for other groups just to let you know that you are at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to groups in America. Right. It's so and weird. And I, I, I remember seeing that take place and I was like, okay, like, good? Yes. But, but you could do better. What about mm-hmm. what about the last yeah. like sixty years of oppression? Yeah. What what happened? Yeah. Did you forget about that? You well know. yeah. Yeah. Oh it, not when it comes to them votes. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's so funny because I try to tell people the way our country is built, you know, we the the political parties are set up a certain way and you're not going to get what you want out of like if we had an independent party where it was just we are following the constitution but it's the best of both worlds it's a a view that is actually for the people and not we're going to fuck you over to let ourselves over and it's just then you go to that and you play inner city blues and it's back to the (laughs) <laughs> the drawing board right man. yeah right and so, you're, just, you're just like damn dude like yeah. do you not listen to anything it's a perfect way to end the album as the last track and then even the the last bit of it where he's like talking marvin is you know just like who are they to judge us yeah and like it brings it back in full circle yeah and then if you listen to the album inner city blues backwards going into what's going on it ends differently. It's a different album. I'm gonna have to do that because yeah, like that's crazy. That blows my mind. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. like I'm even thinking about it like in my head, like you like since you said it. Yeah. And now I'm like, shit. Like the whole song becomes a reprise if you listen to it backwards. Yeah. Now I'm like, I gotta check my perfect albums and see if they all fit. Oh right? my god. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> I, crazy. I did that. I tried to do this with Afro Bebop. Want to say it succeeded, but if like the same thing, the comedy album I had it like if you play it backwards instead of frontwards, it it can still have the same experience. That's crazy. So yeah, it's uh, it it was kind of hard to do with a comedy album than you could do with music, but it it is like it changes it. It's a whole different album when you listen to it. Yeah, and and Mark the way Marvin did this was phenomenal. It's. It's a perfect album. Yeah. No, I, I, it, this is, this album is 
just it's a masterpiece front to back yeah and i i don't think that you're gonna find a more well-written more impactful album than this one no no absolutely not nope unless you release one yourself (laughs) (laughs) got an ep coming (laughs) right when's that coming out uh probably november november i'm I'm trying to push for the fall november december right around my birthday yeah i gotta finish some songs but um yeah so like speaking of songs (laughs) so you you have two two singles out yeah right now uh so you have this is my statement yeah which was the first one you released you have a video out for that uh, which is a fun time. That video is wild. Yeah, it is. Uh, Appreciate it. It's it's really it's a fun watch. Yeah, there's there's layers to that album too. Yeah, that a lot of people probably didn't get, and there's like little nods to different um, movies, shows, everything. But it's it's actually um, the video talks about um, male abuse. Yeah, especially for um, uh, the emasculation of black men. That's what the music video is. But I just did it in such a fun way that nobody would really. <laughs> you know what? No, I, I, I see it, though. Now, yeah. that, now that you've said that. They're called the, the horsemen of emasculation. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are. And each one has a specific name of things that um, harm black men. Um, and Willie Lynchism is actually a form of racism that was taught by uh, slave owners. So... Willie Lynch was supposedly a slave owner. And that's where the term lynching comes from when they would hang black people from trees. Oh. Um, what happens is it was teaching them how to control slaves. So it was like, make the dark skin hate the light skin, make the old hate the young, make the men hate the women. And then just keep pitting them against each other because if they get too powerful, they're going to overthrow your plantation. And um, that continued on. It's like a mentality has been taught to black people for years so one of the main guys on this is my statement in the video uh duke davis he's played by duke davis the wrestler um is uh his name is willie lynch and like there's the other people have like dark souls type names but yeah it's hidden like that for a reason interesting so yeah yeah i was too busy looking at all of the stuff around town going, I don't know where that is. Yeah. I gotta go back and <laughs> actually well, watch for not the Pittsburgh reason. Well that's the thing. It's it's you have to put layers in stuff where people don't realize it. You know what I mean? Like right. it's it, well it makes you come back always, too. Yeah. Like because I knew after we watched it, I was like, I gotta watch that again because I was way too busy <laughs> the locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta yeah. So so give me a little backstory on this is my statement. So uh, like what Well you wanna know? <laughs> like, like thematically where were you coming from um as far as like the the song itself yeah uh well the i called it this is my statement because it was my statement to prove that i could rap okay so i did a song called no justice no peace with frizzy yeah, we'll and get there. roscoe yeah i got that written down um, i have a question about that too oh sure but that was the first song i ever did it's amazing it was real it's amazing oh, i appreciate it and um, the fact that two of my favorite music people let me on the track was different because at first they wanted me to just like talk and do like some spoken word, like comedy type stuff, but not like comedically, just like just some spoken word type thing. Sure. Not necessarily poetry, but then I was like, yo, I got something to say. I want to 
do it this way. They're like, all right. They listened to it. It's like, yo, this works. This is actually good. And then from there, I did another track. And then for this is my statement, I was like, I have to prove to people because there's a lot of eyes on this. I have to right. prove to people that I'm serious. And I have to prove to them I can do it. So for me, it was like there was a lot of things that I was experiencing in my life. And I was like, yo, this is the best way to express it. Like I had um, took a hiatus from social media for a minute and was just doing a bunch of things like working on like building the business, building like artistry and everything that I want to do, taking care of the kids. And this is my statement pretty much gives that statement. Like, okay, this is my statement that I can do this, but this is my statement for everything that you wanted to know of why you were missing, why you were doing this, like what's going on with you. It's right in this song. Yeah. And I I say it. Yeah. So, and, I, yeah. and there's a there's a lot of really cool like lyrical references yeah. within the song. I, I like all the uh in the midsection of the song where you have the the references to like Big Trouble and Little China. Yeah, 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 yeah. So good. Yeah. So I, good. <laughs> I didn't I was like, I gotta give like four parts to this because um there's a there's a line that I enjoy where I talk about make a loving. And, oh yeah, and um, what I'm pretty much saying is that um, that I'm blaming my depression on concussion. Like I'm brain, like I'm blaming all this depression and all these issues that I'm going through on. Like I did have a really bad concussion before, and it did mess with my mental health. But like I'm sitting here blaming this on that, and I was like, okay, why am I lying, McLovin? And the whole point I'm saying, why am I lying, McLovin, is Hawaii. And he's lying on his Hawaii ID. Yeah. Of his age. He and and that's why I said it twice. Um, but yeah, the, the big trouble references were my favorites as well. Yeah. Like I, I, really I love that. Yeah. I, I love that line. That it's I mean, and I love the the arrangement. The song arrangement itself yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Uh, also like the way that it's it's not a linear written song. No. Uh, like it's not like the classic like verse chorus verse chorus it's yeah it's like you have like an intro and then chorus yeah and then you just have one what feels like one long verse yeah and then an outro chorus yeah and it, i think it's really smart i appreciate like it, it it's i think it's very very well written yeah because people gave me a hard time for not having a chorus and uh like more so like the music blogs and stuff but um no i i think it keeps your interest honestly i think because i think sometimes if you if you drive home a chorus too much it makes it boring it it can and not everyone thinks that not everyone knows how to write a song they think a chorus is good like the intro was set up a certain way on purpose to throw people off yeah it wasn't supposed to be like i wanted people to think oh this dude's doing like melodic shit and then it comes in and they're like, oh shit, this is yeah. not like, I did and there's a note to Marvin Gaye in that. Oh really? The opening. It's because all the background vocals are me. So it's layered. Oh shit. On purpose. Yeah. Because it's like my nod to Marvin Gaye. That's dope. But yeah. Yeah. So if you wow. like go back and listen to it, like all the background vocals that are being hit in different ways, it's all like for that arrangement. That's cool. And then it goes into it's supposed to like take you on like a journey. It's like uh, when you watch anime and the character transforms into a more powerful character. Yeah. That's literally 
what this is my statement is doing, which is why like it's a roller coaster, right? So oh, yeah. it starts off like, all right, here's a vulnerable dude who's hurt. Now he's going into telling you, okay, whoa, now, okay, now this dude just doesn't give a fuck. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but I also liked uh what exactly mm-hmm. do you say in that transition from that first part into the main this is my statement portion? The Japanese? Yeah. What am I saying? Yeah. Uh that I'm weak, that, that Terry's weak. It's it's that the one-eyed king is taken over for Terry. Oh, so the, okay. the idea of the one-eyed king is a separate entity from me. It, and um, that character is what I want to be. So he's pretty much saying, you're weak. Like Is that a theme from uh, Tokyo, Tokyo Ghoul? Ghoul? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. Um, that's me speaking in Japanese. It's not actually... So yeah, a lot of people are like, "Wait, that was was you too?" I was like, "Yeah, that's like the whole song." Yeah, I, 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 I was just I wondered what what you said there. That's yeah, really, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I like so that. it's pretty much like the same with the video where I'm pretty much saying I'm weak. Um, let me take over. Yeah, and then, then you have that like aside with yeah. the better version of yourself yeah. with the mask and everything, and you're like, "Please, just let me in. I'll take care of this." Yeah, and that's when. In this is my statement. That's when you hear, um, like the beginning is like, okay, I'm transitioning, I'm transforming, I'm transforming. And that's get, why is that when you get into the part, uh, like when you get into saying talking about like being venom, like we well, are not venom. Yeah, yeah. And when you get yeah. into that, that's when you've you've kind of hit your final form. That's the final form exactly. And a lot of people didn't really. So the the like big trouble in little China references was like the transition, just letting like okay now boom transform well yeah i mean when yeah. you when you talk about like the uh was it the three the three storms the three storms yeah i think i feel yeah. like that's that that was kind of like the the transition point yeah yeah your hero is dead i'm now villain i'm yeah. Bruce Wayne with joker venom which is yeah. the batman who laughs yeah yeah um but yeah at that point it's just like going straight bar for bar for bar and that's when i knew people were going to be like Oh snap! This well, yeah, and like sick. when it hits that part, the everything becomes more, almost more like aggressive in yeah. delivery. Like you can feel it. You're just like, oh shit, okay, yeah. He's made his statement, and now he is. Yeah, he's delivering on it. Okay, yeah. all right, here he is. And that was the exact point that I was getting across. And yeah. the fact that you caught on to it means that it it works. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it definitely worked. Um, yeah, so t- tell me about uh, No Justice, No Peace. Yeah, um, No Justice, No Peace came together because Roscoe put together this sample in this beat. It was sampled from a real protest in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And then he turned it into a beat. And yeah. then I heard it and I was like, Frizzy, you need to hop on this. He's like, oh man, I need. And then Roscoe was like, oh, thank you. Like, you know, because I connected him with Frizzy. And if you don't know Frizzy, Frizzy is an Emmy award winning rapper um, who is now the head of the uh, Grammys Academy for the Philadelphia chapter. Um, And we known each other since we were younger. And so I got him on the track. And then, so Roscoe was excited. Now I was like, I want on just let me say something, please. Right. They're like, yeah, yeah. Cause you put us together and it ended up working out like perfect because Frizzy's verses 
unreal. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's such a good song, man. And go ahead. No, I was gonna say that was my first experience to listening. No, I was to gonna say go, I was gonna say go ahead, tell me your frizzy story. Oh no, my best friend, she does photojournalism and stuff, and she had interviewed Frizzy and did like a little video, a couple minute thing, five minutes or so. Yeah. And she speaks so highly of him, but yeah, he he apparently thinks she's the coolest too. And I was like, <laughs> I know who Frizzy is. So I was all <laughs> who like, is she? Christina Serafini. She works for um okay. the Trib. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, small hey, world. Chrissy. <laughs> but yeah i the one the one thing that i wanted to know um i've listened to it a whole lot mm-hmm. uh first of all i thought that it was super appropriate to talk about it because of the album that we just talked about yeah because oh, yeah. they're both powerful on the same type of level yeah. so and i appreciate the message that you guys put across on it because it's amazing appreciate it um musically mm-hmm was it intentional that during each of your verses the music was different yeah yeah it was because um because like during your verse it's it's a little more like almost like a like a dreamscape like there's like a more like there's like a dreamy effect in the background and there's some like like a little bit of bell work but mm-hmm. then like when you get to the end of it because th- that's that's frizzy at the end right yeah frizzy's at the end his he goes, goes so fucking hard yeah and like but he has that like that like real deep bass mm-hmm. and like the horns and yeah. everything and like so it starts off with roscoe yeah and like his is completely different yeah but somehow they all mesh together mesh that's the genius that, of roscoe because that chorus mm-hmm. loops it all back together yeah uh, roscoe will do stuff okay so the very opening of this is my statement roscoe did that beat okay and sampled demon souls oh wow and flip demon souls the the mist like main menu opening into something completely different that's wild he's like he's a genius now um the beat that was done for this is my statement was uh was mace tomlin mike okay. tomlin's son oh coach wow. tomlin's son oh. and uh mace is a talented rapper and producer and he produces he produced gold in it for frizzy and all that stuff so i get mace and roscoe to work with me and they help me out because they know more about music even though i can deliver well but they help me like you know he hooks up the beats and then roscoe does all the dope stuff to it in no justice no peace he was like adding stuff in front of me and it was like crazy it's crazy to watch because the dude is so brilliant that he will like flip stuff and if you just tell him hey why don't we like i'll help with arrangement why don't you just add this here and do this roscoe does it and that's why it sounds different each person yeah so and And, and and you have to the first few times that i listened to it i was like something is different here yeah and then like i i like I put a really good listen on it and I was like, Yeah, no, the it's different for each verse. Yeah, yeah. So that was intentional. It is that's, intentional. That's really cool. Because he's just he's brilliant like that. No, like, that is brilliant. Honestly, that's yeah. that's really brilliant. That's but, I give I give him a lot of props for mm-hmm. that. That's really cool. Because when Frizzy comes on, it has to be different at that point. Oh yeah, because he just fucking shreds the mic. Yeah. Like he he comes in and just <laughs> fucking guns a blazing. Like Yo, he he killed that, bro. I mean yeah. 
he uh he went in and he was like so inspired he's like i need more than 16 bars and what, I, like, what i love though is when he first comes in he almost has like a like a bust uh come in because he yeah. like when he says like oh let me take my mask off for this yeah yeah he kind of sounds like buster rhymes yeah, when he says he that. i was like shit this is about to get like yeah. so real on a whole nother level yeah and he debuted on uh was it uh not kiss it was star oh really so debuted the song on star and they had his verse play because it it's such a long song that within that time you he was interviewing so it was like get him out there and a lot of people like it. They use it. I've seen uh, people use it on TikTok for protests and different things. I mean, yeah, it's a online. powerful, it's a powerful song. Yeah. Honestly, it really is. Yeah. And like some of the stuff in there, like during your verse, I, I loved the the Joker line. Oh yeah, whether we walking or jogging, they yeah. pull the trigger like a tooth. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, people, when I said the Joker hops in a booth, it was more so like, okay, you're letting a comedian into music now. Right. And he's saying this. And the last line is uh, a nod to Richard Pryor. And uh, all my songs have nods to Richard Pryor in it so far. Like every single one. There's uh, like a hidden Richard Pryor line. Well, yeah, I know. It, 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 definitely in your new track. Yeah. Because um, he, he, he has an opening quote in that. Yep. He has the opening quote um, in... This is my statement. I say, uh, we're cool. Or, oh, uh, what the fuck, Richard? Dis- we're cool or prior discussion. discussion. Yeah, okay. And then this one, it was, he had a joke where he said, um, he shot out his ex-wife's car. They got in an argument. And he pulled out a, a Magnum and he shot her car and he shot the tires out. He Because she said, I'm leaving you. He said, well, you ain't leaving in this motherfucker. I done paid for it. So he starts shooting the car. He shoots out the tires. Then he said he shot out the engine. And the engine was like, fuck it. He said he heard the police come and he said, I went back in the house. He is like, uh, because they don't kill cars, they kill niggas. <laughs> <laughs> and so um that that's where that line comes from. All right. Is is a nod to him. Yeah, that's so, really cool. Uh they they're not aiming at black cars unless they're driven by Nick cars. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. I, I, I like that line. That was yeah. that's a really but like it's it's funny, but it's also like insanely powerful yeah especially when you look at the message that the whole song has yeah like you just hear that line you're just like oh shit like wow what a Mm -hmm. what a day like hell yeah yeah so your newest track yeah uh silent like chaplain Mm -hmm. um so i i kind of got the you know the the vibe that you're you're trying to say that you know they they want you to be in the background they want they don't want you to talk they just want you to be there which yeah. is like the, what i got from the buster keaton line yeah absolutely um um yeah that that's what it is yeah and uh, what what made you select that richard Pryor quotes at the beginning so that doesn't come from any of his albums it comes from a movie called watt stacks and okay watt stacks uh isaac hayes um was a headliner and it was a concert that they did in Watts, California, that was like just showing like the background of the black movement, black people, similar to like what's going on. But they had these inserts with Richard Pryor here and there. And I chose that because there's a level of racism amongst, they don't want like, they want black, all right, black men make a lot of money. I mean, black people in general bring a lot of money in, not like make a lot of money. So, for example, um, 
they like the the people that spend the most money on beauty are black women. They make billions and billions and billions of dollars each year. It's statistically shown, proven. Black men, uh, it's more so like there's a lot of money made off of our culture. So like a lot of the writing, the musicians and all this stuff, and the labels are making money. And then you look at the shit that happened with Dave Chappelle when he was doing what he wanted to do and they're like no 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 we need you to make us money and he's like i don't want to do it that way and they're like you're we're going to force you to make us this money dave Chappelle, for example made viacom half a billion dollars so people don't know this that within two seasons he made 500 million dollars for viacom that's unheard of he was able to do pepsi and coca-cola commercials and um when you think of like dave Chappelle, i bring him up because he was making so much money, but they wanted him to do it a certain way. Right. Don't speak this way. Don't do it this way. Do it how we tell you to do it. And that's been throughout slavery, throughout time that, oh, watch your mouth, boy. Emmett Till was hung off of a tree because they claimed he whistled at uh, an attractive white woman that walked by. Yeah. So when you when you think of these things and you look at throughout the history, they told LeBron to shut up and dribble. Um, but yet Drew Brees says some shit about something dealing with the uh, the kneeling of the flag and are praising him. And it's like, OK, so you're going to praise him, but you're going to tell him to shut up and dribble. So I, I chose that because it's 2021 and that 1970 something clip is still relevant today. Yeah. And it's it's to goes back to everything's full circle. It goes yeah. back to what's going on and. And what we talked about with that, like, Absolutely. how is this stuff still timeless? Yeah. So that clip is such a powerful, and it's funny, but it's a powerful clip for me because I've experienced it Yeah. many times, especially in comedy. And when I was on radio, it was like, no, we're going to say all this racist shit in these meetings and talk crazy around you and to you because you're the only black person here. But don't you go on the radio and say nothing that we don't agree with. So, you know, with comedy, I've always been outspoken. A lot of my albums have political stuff in it about race. And people would uh, come at me about it. And I would get, like, shitted on for it. Or, like, nobody had my back whenever they were like, oh, you shouldn't be talking about this. Just be funny. Just be funny. What are you talking about this for? The stuff was funny that I was talking about. But um, But it's real. Yeah. They can't handle it. And I did a, a a bit, it was All Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter. And I talk about, and I use like pit bulls in the, in the mix as black people. And I talk about how, you know, um, people are like yelling All Lives Matter. And um, I forget exactly how the bit goes, but it goes along the lines of me reversing it because I talk about how, um, you know, they would kill us or whatever. But a dog, for example, there was a pug attacking a SWAT team. And when they were attacking the SWAT team, they just like had it on film and the like choppers watching the SWAT team trying to break in this house. But this pug keeps biting at their ankles and they're like, oh, look at the pug. And then there was a dog that looks like this one. And um, he had came out of a door in New York and this lady had the dog and she opened the door. And I guess the dog was just excited, like, Oh, someone's here. Just like that, your dog rushed us yeah. when we walked mm-hmm. in. And the, the cop freaked out and shot the dog in the apartment building. 
and the lady was losing her shit because she just watched her dog killed in front of her. And yeah. it was only because it was Pitbull. And so I did this thing and I was like, well, I'm glad Pitbulls don't have to deal with black people, have to deal with on social media. So I couldn't imagine a Pitbull going on there like, yeah, don't you understand? They just kill us or whatever. And I was like, and then here comes some Yorkie being an asshole. Like all breeds <laughs> matter. Like, <laughs> but oh my God. The, the bit was like, I, I took people on a journey and they didn't like it. So with this, I was like, this clip, I've been sitting on this clip for a long time. Yeah. And I was like, now's the time where I could use it to my advantage. So well, yeah. people don't like it because we're, we're uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is uncomfortable. And for years, we weren't uncomfortable. And now we get it and or we right. don't get it. Right. Yeah. So uh, tell me the, the story behind the, the chorus. Uh, satellite Chaplain. Um, so there's a, everything that I say has double to triple meaning. Sure. Usually. Like every single line. At, and probably everything. But in this song in particular, there's a double meaning for every line. Um, so the chorus, Silent Like Chaplain. Well, why do you think I chose Silent Like Chaplain? If I had to ask you guys. Well, I mean, because he was an actor in the silent film. Okay. Era, and perfect, right? Yeah. That's that's one. Charlie Chaplin did a movie where he played Hitler. It was his only speaking role. Yeah. It got him banned from America. Right. And they did investigations and they went in on this dude because he was hitting that political part of what World War II was really about and they didn't want to deal with it. And they wanted him silent. So that whole Silent Like Chaplin has, that's the second meaning. Okay. Yeah, he was a silent, but they want me silent like Chaplin. Like, they don't want me saying this shit to you guys. They don't want me to tell y'all the truth because it's too real and they're going to try and silence me. Okay. And yeah, so um, that was the powerful irony behind Charlie Chaplin. Like, your only speaking role gets you back. <laughs> Go back to shutting up and, and making us laugh. Right. I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's the same as Shut Up and Dribble. But yeah. it was a Charlie Chaplin version back then. And he was right. Yeah. He was from England. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. So what about the uh, the two Jack Johnson? Yeah, so Jack Johnson was the very first African-American heavyweight, heavyweight champion. champion. Yeah. And they, this is how bad racism was back then. They used to make Jack fight multiple white men when he was young. And they would do these um they, that that's where this is where battle royal comes from. They would do battle royals. Yeah. And the battle royals was nothing but a handicap match. And they called them uh like royal battle or battle, they called them something with battle royal. And that's where that idea comes from of having multiple people fighting at once. And they would have Jack fight so much because they just couldn't stand the fact that he was winning. And then so he would um he would get with like white women and he would drive around in towns and he had like a, a white partner, a girlfriend or uh, whoever she was. And he would just go places. He, he walked around, he chased this uh, white champion for months. Like just, yo, you gonna give me a shot. You gonna give me a shot kind of thing. He was Muhammad Ali before Muhammad Ali, but he was crazier because he was doing it during the time where they would actually kill your ass. Yeah, this. I but, mean, he, we're talking Jim Crow era. Yeah, like that because he was, 
he was the world heavyweight boxing champion from 1908 yes to 1915 yes so like seven years mm-hmm. that's a long fucking time yeah and um he dealt with racism on so many levels he went to join freemasonry and they would not let him join as a freemason because at that time there were only certain ways that black men could become freemasons uh the first freemason uh prince hall george washington uh had him raised and he became a freemason so there weren't that many black men able to and he found a way and he went to this lodge and they tried to stop him but the doors were closed and once you go through initiation they couldn't stop it and he he found his way into a scottish lodge and like he not nothing he he didn't let anything stop him he didn't care and then they got him uh they said she was a prostitute they got him on like making it seem like he was a pimp or back in the day whatever they called it and um his girlfriend he was uh uh, like kind of pimping her out he's he's a prost or is prostitution and he went to prison for that and it was really just an interracial couple so they everything that jack johnson did he did not stop and i love that about him they kept trying to find a great white hope to defeat him and it wasn't until the very end of his career that they did by then he got out of prison he was he wasn't training as much um he couldn't really train yeah and they uh so being to jack johnson is that that idea like you're not going to shut me up yeah and I've dealt with enough of your bullshit through comedy. Now I have an outlet where y'all motherfuckers can't stop me. Right. And 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 it's it feels liberating, like Jack Johnson. So yeah. And what about the the opposite side of that with the uh, two tongue common? Yeah. So two tongue common, King Tut. Yeah. Um, the thing about two tongue common, he is a pharaoh in Africa and Egypt. Right. And um, they constantly try to make us think that King Tut was a lesser king than he was. They don't want us to know the truth about King Tut, right? So they're always like, oh, he was inbred, he's this, he's that. They do everything to minimize him. What King Tut did was, after his dad was king, he was only a teenager, he said, I'm going to bring back the Egyptian gods. I want people to know about our culture. They shouldn't, this shouldn't be locked away. People should know about the different gods. They should know about Osiris. They should know about Horus. They should know about Anubis. This is the way of our people. And, you know, a lot of demons um, that Christianity created was uh, a lot of the gods and like voodoo and stuff when they were like, it's demon, it's demonic. That is not true. Not all of it, at least. What they did was they turned a lot of the gods into demons and they made them seem demonic because they wanted to weaponize christianity right right so you gotta think this is back then before any of that was even going on they were trying to find a different way to not let people be liberated and king tut was like no you are going to learn about this so that being two tongue um, and goes back to that outspoken black man like yo i am your king this is what I choose, and this is what you need to know. I'm going to tell you what they don't want you to know. And that's why I chose it. And it rhymes, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it ended up being perfect. Like, I was like, oh man, 
was like, uh, King Tut. I was like, okay, I could flip this. So yeah. Yeah, and then actually you have a, a another nod at King Tut. Yeah. In another line later, uh, when it what was it? Uh, scar on my eye like Horus. Yeah, scar on my eye like Horus. So I have a a new scar on my left eye, and uh, it it was like scar on my left like Horus. Yeah. yeah, and that was just like letting people know the power of the the eye of Horus. They don't want you to know the truth of the eye of Horus, right? Because if they if you did, you knew the truth. And if you actually break down the all seeing eye, and they call it or the eye of Horus, and you look at it. And, and compare it to something within the brain, you'll find out why they call it that. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that. I'll leave it to <laughs> conspiracy people to Google it, but it's it's a very powerful nod. So yeah, the uh, I, I have a scar and I take this scar with pride and I I go, okay, yeah, this is, uh, it was it was worse, it's starting to heal, but um, it's like scar on my left like horse. Just like yo, I'm, I'm going to be, like following different ways in my life. And uh, Horace, if you ever look at his story, they try to keep it hidden. But if you ever look at the deep story of Horace, it's it goes far. I'll and have to look, yeah. look into that. Yeah, there's sure. a reason they hide it. I'll say that. But yeah. Uh, and then uh, I mean, of course, on the other on the tail end of that same section, you uh, you make a, a reference to Morris Day. Yeah. At the yeah. Time. Yeah, Which I, I really appreciated that little nod. I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, there's um, there's like the first verse I come in, and I I fl- switch the flow up a lot. And there's a part at the very end because a lot of people the powerful line that caught them was uh, "blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice; blacker the berry, the tighter the noose." And uh, I, I make yeah. people sit with that for a while on purpose. And oh yeah, because you just drop the whole song for about what is it like 15 seconds uh probably yeah probably a little more it's yeah it's probably like 25 30 seconds yeah by the time and then you, it just drops right back in you're just like fuck yeah oh oh you mean that yeah, yeah. it is it's probably like six seconds it but, it, but it, feels it feels like 15 it feels 30. like 15 seconds yeah yeah and uh because um, you say that and i'm just like yeah that was about an uh, incident that happened to me um when my kids I was driving home. I picked them up from daycare and uh, they were one in three at the time. And I pick them up from daycare and um, driving on William Penn and I get pulled over. So when I say late registration calling aid, that is because uh, what ended up happening was I get pulled over. I don't understand why. And there's like six to seven um, task force cars. So they're like plane vehicles. These aren't the typical, they're getting out. They got vests on, long rifles. <laughs> I mean, like they're approaching the car with ARs and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on at this point? And my kids are in the car. So I literally had to roll down the window and yell at them that the kids were in the car, like to chill out. Because I didn't want my toddlers to be scarred by the fact that people are showing up with ARs. Like, you know what I mean? Because you don't know how kids want to react. Right. So literally uh, on both sides, they just had ARs and the ones like standing there keeps looking at the car. I'm like, he's like, oh, are they in car seats? And I'm like, yeah. And it was an older truck. And uh, <clears throat> he goes, uh, all right, do you have your license? And I'm like, yeah, my kids are asking for fruit snacks. I'm like, babies, can y'all like, it's kind of hard to get toddlers to chill. 
Yeah. In a car. <laughs> and uh, and oh, she's yeah. like, can I have fruit snacks? I said, baby, please just give us a second. Let me talk to the officer. Because I wasn't about to reach for fruit snacks. With oh, AR, yeah. AR is like. So, um, they, uh, he goes, do you know why I pulled you over? I go, no. He said, your registration's expired. I'm like, so you guys did all this over <laughs> registration being expired by a month. And uh, I'm talking to him, trying to chill. They run the plates. And I tell him where I live. But my license had a different address because there was a different permanent address that I had to change. Okay. I told him where I live now. Another car, patrol car, follows me to make sure that I legit lived where I said. And so that that last part is about that experience. So when I come in the next verse, there's so much. That's why it's layered that way. And that that you know, and the, the Morris Day line is like it's fun, but it's also legit. Like, you know, I said, uh, I want all my flowers on the floor. It's like the reason I'm saying I want all my flowers on the floor is like because a lot of black men don't get love while they're alive, right? So like DMX's streams went up six hundred percent after his death. What it what the fuck is six hundred percent? Like that, these are percentages that you don't even know exist. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Right. You never hear anybody say, hey, you got a 600% on your test today. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? They went up 600%. And in Michael Jackson, same thing. It's like every time, because black men are worth more dead than alive. Same with the ratings. They go up. CNN, they, they never say black woman killed by white cop, right? Because if that was the case, Breonna Taylor would have got the same coverage as George Floyd. But instead, it makes more money to say black man killed by white whoever. And it because of that, the ratings go up. Now you're watching every day. Now you're doing this. And they know it. And they know that they can make money off of it. Even if they try to tell you they're on your side and that they're informing you, they're not. So when I said I, I, that my time of my day, like more, it's like, I want to live. Yeah. I want people to tell me you tell me you love me while I'm alive. Right. Don't wait till I'm dead and be like Nipsey Hustle, where now all of a sudden you're loved by the whole world, but when you was alive, nobody was really showing you this. Right. And it's it's a bad idea, but yeah. Yeah. So um that's where that line comes from. But yeah, I, I really tried to be as powerful as possible on it. Yeah. And then I, I mean like there were just so many other like cultural references yeah you had ali in there you had el shabazz yeah malcolm x for people that don't know el shabazz yeah yeah Um, yeah was that that was later in his career when he el shabazz yeah that was like uh a little bit later i mean he was malcolm x and he was yeah but he like yeah he he changed his name didn't he yeah Yeah. he did and uh there was a i mean i started off you know, with like villains on purpose with that idea. So Steppenwolf, Darkseid, etc. Yeah, um, I, I I did. I, I like that because it was like a little like nerd nod. I yeah, like, yeah. Right, I, I had right. to um, at least to let people know I'm still on that shit. But oh, oh yeah, <laughs> because the part, the part where it's like glitch in the Matrix, uh, red pill ready, sense yeah, of being, being ready, ready. Ultra, Ultra instinct, instinct ready. I was yeah. like, 
Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. All right. Okay, I see where we're going. Yeah, yeah. And then you literally just rapid fire. Yeah. Nobody your was, way to the end. Nobody was expecting that. No, I didn't. And, and first Ross, time I, first time I listened to it, I was like, "Okay, Terry." Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Roscoe. Uh, again, layered it. Beat done by Mace. Roscoe layered it a certain way so that everybody could catch every line. And I'd say Pepper's on there three times on purpose. And it's it's all like, so uh, Peter Piper picking Peppers. I'm saying, I'm calling people Peppers. Like, I'm saying that I'm going to destroy you. So I'm Peter Piper picking Peppers. Okay. I'm going to Carolina reap you Peppers. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because that's considered the hottest pepper, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it's like I'm not playing with you guys. Like this is this is what you're getting. I'm not afraid to. It's like the Kevin McAllister moment. I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. So yeah, that that was it. Yeah. yeah no, that it, I mean, I I can easily say that I've I've probably listened to that track every day since it's come out. Oh, appreciate it. It's man. so good. Uh, I appreciate it's, it. It's just everything about it. the composition is great. The rhymes are great. Thank you, man. So, I like, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the whole project. Yeah, me too, me too, man. And I'm glad you guys had me on, man. Yeah, Thank I'm you. so happy that you were able to come on. Um, so you said November, December, maybe? Probably November, December. Yeah, I got cool. uh, some upcoming shows. Uh, Pittsburgh Improv, July 8th. Um, the Dirt with Matt Light. Um, oh, yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, and then... Yeah. Uh, working on music, I got to shoot the video for Silent Light Chaplin. Three people approached me to direct it. So I'm trying to pull a Tarantino Rodriguez move where maybe I have each director direct um, a verse and then piece it together and oh, we come up cool. with like a really, really cool, cool composition idea. Um, so that way I can still get my message across the way I want. Um, the one act king. And that cinematic universe, people want it back. So uh, the Lady in Red will be returning. One Night King, there'll be a new villain. Um, so yeah, it's just nice. keep keeping it rolling, but also doing the different nods that we want. Cool. So yeah, awesome. Sweet. So what we where can we find? Where can people find you on uh, social media? Uh, T Jones POC on Instagram. Uh, Terry Jones on YouTube. Uh, add me on pandora radio uh you know trying to get the monthly subscribers up right i was uh it's like 2000 monthly subscribers or monthly listeners yeah, that's that not goes. Bad. so no it's actually really good it's really really good <laughs> yeah it's it's hard to get so on look pandora, our, our best episode has like a hundred listeners so. <laughs> two thousand yeah. a month yeah yeah it's pretty cool so um pandora radio has done me well uh spotify Apple Music, you can find me. Uh, Silent Light Chaplain's out on all streaming services. This is my statement as well. Um, you can catch the other songs like No Justice, No Peace, Rome Full and stuff. But the the last two songs are my first solo project. So uh, we're going to keep it going. Um, it's getting a lot of uh, media attention and stuff. So Yeah, I saw yeah, I had yeah. that article from, uh, was that a magazine in the UK? Yeah, H-Wing. Yeah. H-Wing and then uh, Buzz music and um it's on a couple there's one in brazil there's something wrong with their website so they just did an instagram post on it okay and then they showed a lot of love um there's uh one coming out from france they haven't finished it yet pull up magazine um 
they usually do like reggae and stuff like that, but they really like the song. I Ooh. had to get it. I had to translate what the hell they were saying. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it's it's doing very well. Ironically, a lot of the American blogs won't share it, but and I'm fine with that. A lot of the vlogs that were there's a couple, but the the people out in the world, like the international, and it's on a bunch of playlists right now. So um, we're gonna keep it moving. Anyone that's not afraid to share the message, I'm here for it. So right. yeah. That's it. Well, don't worry, because it's it's all over our Facebook page. Yeah, so, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. We'll keep it going. Yeah. Yeah, we, thank we'll you. We'll definitely keep it going. I'm excited to shoot the video, and that's just going to transcend it even yeah. more into yeah. uh, the hearts of people. So and I'm we, glad people and you are know what? And we will definitely, moving forward, we'll share it all. Yeah, I appreciate so, it. Thank you. And as usual, guys, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at simh pod you can also look it up on facebook that way as well or you can just look up the group songs in my head uh we're also on itunes amazon music spotify and soundcloud if you're nasty yeah uh so thanks for being here man and uh look forward to having you on again yeah I'll definitely definitely Hopefully when you get that, that full EP out, we'll have you on again for another episode. Oh, I'd be down with that. Right? Yeah, I would, and I would like to get your opinion on it. Um, but yeah, I'm working on a bunch of stuff. So trying to keep it as solo as possible. Um, but I do want to do a new track with Mace. And there's unreleased tracks out like that we have right now. Yeah. So I'm just like picking and choosing because right. after a silent like Chaplin, this is my statement made a splash, but this one really hit people hard so i have to make sure that every project is uh blessed from the universe (laughs) right right well thanks so much man for being on and thanks everybody for listening uh and as always you know share your music because that's the only way you're going to find new stuff that's it thanks guys peace